to Descriptive, a podcast about JavaScript and other things. I'm your host Khalil, and this is episode 10. All these components do is fetch things and render them, essentially. Today's guest is Tiffany Conroy. She is an interaction designer, a front-end developer, a cutter of bullshit, created, we are all awesome, and she is a JSConf EU co-curator. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Hello. <laughs> Hi. So if you hear me, if you hear me occasionally clinking, that's just me enjoying a delicious beverage. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing the same, actually. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Um, <clears throat> so my first question is always, um, how did you get started with programming or um, in your case, also interaction design? So um, I think for a lot of people who do you know, web development and who do JavaScript. I got started as a hobbyist. Specifically, I got started um, in university and uh, my uh, classmates, not just in my year, but in um, other years, had a web ring. So just to date myself a bit, we had a web ring and I wanted to... Uh, what, is that? what is that? Do you web? know what a web... So a web ring is when um, your website links to... Um, one that comes quote before and one that comes after so the one at the left and one at the right and you have a link to just the left or the right usually on some topic so in our case our topic was that we were all in the same program at university and um and then you can move your way around the ring and end up back at the beginning so you just keep so if there's you know 25 people in the ring then there's 25 different sites and they all link together and if you have to add someone new to the ring you have to figure out like who are we going to insert them between? And then, of course, those two people have to actually update their links in order to add you to the ring. Wow. It was very GeoCities era. We were not on GeoCities. We were on our university's um, system. And you, there was, you know, we all would log into this Unix system to check our email and things. And we, uh, there was a, a command. You could just run this one-line command, and it would set you up with a web page, a basic web page with a CGI um, setup. Not computer-generated graphics, but like Perl. So, yeah, so we would set these, I set up this web ring and I wanted to, you know, um, participate in that. So I had to learn some HTML and then a friend of mine, she already knew uh, JavaScript and had some pretty great looking mouse over effects, which I thought was really quite cool. So I, you know, did the thing you do, which is read the source and take a look. And um, yeah, so from there, I, I started doing uh html and some javascript which i was you know learning c at the time but um you know and javascript looks like c so there's a lot of a lot of misunderstandings at the very beginning Mm -hmm. so Um, were you actually uh what did you study actually then i studied electrical engineering Mm -hmm. um the university that i went to is uh u of t university of toronto for anyone who knows it and um I was in a specific program called engineering science where you didn't have to pick which specialty you were going to do. So at the time, I was just quoting engineering science. It was just like this generic program. Um, And then eventually I specialized in electrical engineering because I had this idea that I was going to build robotics for uh, special effects. I was my dream job was to work for industrial light and magic, but that didn't happen. Is it still (laughs) your dream job? Um, I don't. I don't really do things with robotics, um, so um, obviously I didn't really pursue that. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, uh, I had this, um, kind of idea that that's what I wanted to do, but, um, what ends up happening is, you know, sometime partway through your studies, you kind of lose track of what maybe brought you there. And instead you start looking around at, you know, what am I going to, how am I going to get paid? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so things started to get a little more practical eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so I was studying electrical engineering um, during the original um, dot-com boom, mm-hmm. but then graduated as it was collapsing. So I had to find some kind of work um, with an engineering degree specializing in uh, telecommunications in a time when the telecommunications industry was collapsing around the tech uh, bust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that was that must have been difficult. So where where were you at the time? I was living in Toronto. I had graduated um, from U of T, and um, my my specialty, um, like I said, was photonics. It was like telecommunications, and um, that whole industry had been um, had been a huge part of the Canadian economy. So when it when that whole thing collapsed a lot of it was very much in a recession and so I was sort of looking around to just do whatever so um eventually I got a job doing what uh you know looks like office work but because I am who I am it was also a programming job although I didn't realize it at the time um and kind of just stayed doing that for a while um and why was it a programming programming job was it Excel or <laughs> yeah. So um, the the work was, I guess at the t- at the time it would have been like a webmaster, and my job, I think my my title was communications coordinator, um, which meant that I was in charge not of putting content on the website, but actually building the tools for updating it. Which I guess nowadays you would call a CMS, mm-hmm. which you know that didn't exist then, um, and so you know, everybody would build their own little bespoke thing. And, and, uh, so I was building those tools and then I was trying to integrate those with our data systems, which were all in access. And so there was a lot of like, um, uh, automating report generation and, um, building, I don't know if you ever built any interfaces in access, but no, there's, um, there's a, there's a GUI that you can program and you can get quite sophisticated if you start writing VB script. Mm-hmm. And so that was the sort of stuff I was doing. So I was, I was actually doing programming and I was actually, um, you know, deciding what to build and what would be the most efficient thing to build um, in the context of a company that, you know, wasn't, wasn't a programming company. They were just trying to get their work done. And I was trying to get their work done more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where when I left there, I actually didn't get replaced because I had built tools to replace me. Um, they didn't need to, they didn't need to hire a replacement because <laughs> I had sort of built it up and. Okay. So yeah. when you left, they didn't need anybody else? Well, they didn't need anybody to do what I had been doing. Yeah. They had, they had, you know, they didn't need, I, I think once or twice they called on me to, to help with a couple of things, but. It was mostly maintenance mode. So, yeah. And, and from that job, a, a friend of mine, again, from university, he was already running um, a web agency. And 
he recognized before I did that what I was doing was web development and that he needed someone like me. So he, he actually encouraged me to quit that job and work for him um, as a web developer. But I hadn't really recognized that I was a web developer by that point. I just was trying to get my work done and trying to get other people's work done. Mm-hmm. So he hired me um, as a web developer. And, you know, I felt very validated and vindicated and I got a huge raise because I went from being a office kind of assistant type worker to, you know, a programmer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was not a great location in the city. Like it was very uh, hard to get to. And I was more of a downtown person and um, and I wasn't working with anyone. I was very isolated. So I thought I hated programming. I thought I hate programming. I want out of this industry. So mm-hmm. I quit and I went to work as a management consultant, not actually a management consultant, a business analyst, which is, you know, the bottom rung of management consultant. And I was on my way to be a management consultant, <laughs> which and nobody says they want to be, but I did. Okay. And um, why did you it, think that you wanted to be that? Um, I knew a number of other people who were doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about, um, you know, improving processes and looking for inefficiencies and, you know, quantifying them and trying to find out better solutions, which is sort of how I understood the work to be, um, that sounded really appealing to me because mm-hmm. that's what I'd been doing. And I'd been doing right. it through programming web interfaces, uh, you know, building web tools to do that. Mm-hmm. So that sounded really interesting. So I, w- I did that for a while. but. And I, and I learned a lot of really valuable things there. Um, I didn't do that for very long. But um, what I also realized when I was there was that every problem I would have some programmatic solution to where I, where I thought, well, I can program my way out of this, either program a tool which will solve the problem or program a tool to analyze the problem better than the tools we had. Um, so, you know. Uh, beyond Excel in terms of trying to find the right tools to analyze what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that. And then a friend of mine who was living in Berlin um, mentioned, Oh, Hey, you know, we're looking for someone who's a web developer who has some, uh, you know, sense of design taste. And uh, I think you're an appropriate fit for that. And I thought, well, that's kind of backwards in my career journey. I don't want to be a programmer. But hey, Berlin sounds pretty cool, and I'm not really committed to any one thing or person. I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't even have my own apartment. I was renting a room from a friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed like, why not? Like, why not do that? So uh, that was seven years ago. And I moved to work to, Ber- moved to Berlin to work as a web developer. And it was here and in that job that I realized, oh, I, I do really like programming, actually. I just didn't like programming in that specific environment uh, where I was isolated and not learning new things and the food choices were poor in the neighborhood. You mm-hmm. know, I just didn't like that job. So, yeah, I um, worked at an agency for um, a while, uh, applying sort of all the things that I learned along the way about um, content management systems customer relations management systems, which I had worked on when I was a business analyst, um, applying all the tools that a business analyst uses to 
assess uh, processes and try and come up with solutions. I sort of brought all that together into my work as a web developer. And um, when I finally left that agency and started working at SoundCloud, I was doing sort of the same thing. And my specialty was administrative systems for for staff, um, kind of these tool-like web tools as opposed to something, you know, immersive. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I was at SoundCloud that someone said, "Oh, well, what you're doing is interaction design. What you're what you're mm-hmm. what you're doing sounds like interaction design." And I hadn't thought of it that way. I had thought of it more as um, process analysis and process improvement. But I, there are a lot of similarities and overlap um, with the kind of approaches and techniques. And um, to to me, there's obvious. Uh, obvious similarities in the two fields. Um, I don't know how much they really interact. That's something I've been meaning to look into. But yeah, so, um, but I'm always uh, interested in actually building building tools to help people do their jobs better. That's essentially what I specialize in. Yeah, it seems um, to be like a theme uh, yeah, in, your, that, in your career. That is very much the theme. Um, and you know, I've mostly done that for people I work with, mostly for my colleagues, but I'm also very much interested in um, those kinds of tools for uh, not just my colleagues, but as a product. So the kinds of products that you don't, you don't want to actually be using every day. You just want them to work as quickly and as efficiently as possible to get some, um, something else accomplished. Those are sort of that's my specialty. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's and then. Um, yeah. So so know. hold on. So, <laughs> uh, since when are you working at SoundCloud now? I have been there since two thousand and eleven. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been there. Uh, four years almost, approximately. Yeah, okay. two years, three <clears throat> and a half years. Yeah. So how did you how did you end up there? Um, it's again a lot of you know finding out through friends a lot of things. But um, when I'd been working at the web agency, I mean, Ber- first of all, the community in Berlin is pretty connected in terms of mm-hmm. the development community. Like a lot of people are attending the same meetups and things. So I'd heard of SoundCloud and heard, knew of people who were working there. And at the time, SoundCloud was quite small. Like it was, you know, less than 50 people. It was maybe less than 40 people in Berlin. Um, you know, quite a small number. And um, when I'd been working at the web agency, one of my colleagues and friends there uh, quit the agency and went to SoundCloud. And to me, SoundCloud seemed very uh, intimidating. Like, you know, they were way, they were way doing cooler things and like I was totally not qualified. But he thought I was qualified for, spe- you know, specific things that uh, was my specialty, which is what he recommended me for. Mm-hmm. And so he recommended me and... Um, and others recommended me, and then I, um, so then I went and started working there, doing doing this sort of specialized work of uh, user administration, essentially. Mm-hmm. User administration, like user. Um, so um, the primary users of the product that I build are the customer support people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when someone contacts SoundCloud and they have a problem with their account. Um, they're able, the customer support people are able to review the account details and see maybe what the problem is and potentially directly fix the problem or at the, at the very minimum, explain how to fix the problem to the, to the person, what their choices are and so on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, how is it working there at SoundCloud? It's really great. Um, I think that, you know, I've been there for three years and there's been a lot of different emotions about how I feel about working there in that course of time. And I've talked to some people who have a similar experience. And I think that's just because, you know, when you're growing really rapidly and the product is, is growing rapidly, there's a lot of time pressure and stress and new people and old people and old ways of working and new ways of working and they're all mixed together. And so it can be very um, stressful at times, mm -hmm. but that has really leveled off um, in the past uh, six months to a year or so. And um, right now it's actually quite a good place to work. I would highly recommend it. Um, and um, as, as the, you know, tech blog magazine universe is aware we also have a new office which is a very nice office um they specifically built it in very close to where the original offices were um trying to keep everyone in that area because a lot of the people who are at soundcloud value um a short commute and you know a nice environment to work in like the building itself but also the area around it i think um you know, a lot of people live within walking distance or maybe on the, maybe they don't have a, uh, they take the, the U-Bahn and they don't have to actually switch trains, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, so they really made sure that that quality of life aspect was maintained mm -hmm. when they picked the new offices, regardless cool. of how nice they are inside. Yeah. Um, there's a very um, open and collaborative feeling. I oh, we have these values that, um, we've been promoting throughout the whole, the time I've been there. And one of them is open, um, you know, openness of sharing information and so on. But there's also, um, a physical place in the office, which is quite a large central area, which is called the cafe. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can get a snack and a coffee, but there's also tables set up and there's music playing. Um, and you know, a lot of people talk about how they can't work at work because there's too much happening they'd be happier to work in a cafe, mm -hmm. except that we have a cafe and the okay. coffee's free. So you just go to this space, which feels very much like a cafe. You're not at your normal space. And then you run into people and you talk to them and maybe you overhear what they're saying and you have something to contribute. And it's very um, conversational. And like I spent half the day there today and had very uh, useful conversations with people, um, which I don't think you would get if you if you just had an open office where talking to someone maybe got on the next person's nerves, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think that that part of it's also really fantastic. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, um, uh, positive aspects. Um, and they're very, um, they're very builder focused. They're very engineering focused. Um, I don't know if that's still true, but, uh, you know, so there's a lot of, because, it, because the product is a web product, obviously the, the people who are building it, the designers, the product managers and the developers, um, you know, are highly valued. And so, you know, what they're doing contributes a lot to mm -hmm. the um, feel and so on. So yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, sounds, sounds <laughs> That's really a very good. long, very long pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you've made the case. Uh, yeah. Sounds really, sounds really good. Um, uh, SoundCloud.com slash jobs. You know, let me know. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll definitely link it up. I've yeah. actually, I've actually, uh, uh, since SoundCloud was always uh, one of those companies that I was always kind of, tr kind of thinking of like, oh, I would like to, you know, try to try, send send a resume in or something like that. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Since a, I think many people <laughs> yeah. have had that thought in Germany. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I I was very intimidated by it um, myself, mm -hmm. um, and I was I had it recommended to me, and and you know, um, but yeah, it's a it's a great place to work. So oh, cool. So oh, I, I'm uh, very interested in so uh, what exactly you're doing there. So what kind of to yeah. <laughs> tools do you do you use to do your work and um, what kind of technology do you use and yeah. like how does how How's it the, work what's yeah. it look like yeah so it's a little bit confusing for lots of people in terms of what i do per se i think um i have this weird position in the company where because i'm working on these internal tools um it's not a big team um right now it's me uh, in the past there was another person on the team and for a short time there were a couple people on the team uh, in addition to me um But technically, my title is product manager, but um, what it really ends up looking like what I'm doing is, is programming and what I would consider to be process analysis, talking to people about what their process is and trying to figure out what tools to build. But um, in terms of like the product, what is it made out of? Um, SoundCloud has um, a microservices ar architecture, mm -hmm. meaning that we have many different services um, for different parts of the product. And um, obviously one of the places those services come together is the actual website itself. But um, if you're a uh, customer support person or maybe you're a business to business person at the company, um, you need to have an administrative view um, with administrative um, access on some of the same data. And so I wanted to, and, and JavaScript is what I'm comfortable with and HTML is what I'm comfortable with. And um, so what my tool does is um, essentially um, it, it's, hmm. so <laughs> the tool itself, the, the program, the product itself is called Sonar, which is, I'll just give it a name now. Um, and it is a, client-side rendered application, which uses uh, Mustache. Um, I use Require.js to load my modules, and I use a subset of jQuery, but I otherwise don't use any libraries or frameworks. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I chose not to use any libraries or frameworks other than those was because I wanted to make it so that other developers doing other things in other parts of the company would be able to easily plug in new, um, new components. And I didn't want them to have to learn a new framework. And because the number of users is relatively low and um, it, it wasn't really like, it's not super relevant how, uh, how much it scales in terms of like, how fast I can serve this thing because, mm -hmm. you know, there's only 25 people who use it at any given time. Um, 
And those people use it all day. It's just sort of sitting there open. Um, and so, uh, so it uses require, uses um, jQuery, uses uh, mustache. And then I have my own kind of uh, patterns that I guess are evolved into some kind of framework. Um, it's all client-side rendered, as I mentioned. One of the things that, um, oh, and the, and the other thing is that all of the microservices that we have that are uh, HTTP uh, microservices, I don't talk to the other ones, but um, all the ones that have HTTP uh, JSON uh, services, I proxy through um, Sinatra servers. So I have for each microservice, there's a Sinatra server running. And for each endpoint, there's a little Sinatra, uh, I don't know, route method that, you know, like get this route or put that route. Mm -hmm. And then all it does in there is um, verifies that the person who's making that request is permitted to talk to that service. I have a little bit of user authentication built in. That's, I make sure that's that, on the Sinatra server. Inside the Sinatra server, it okay. says, you know, is the person who's using this website authenticated and mm -hmm. are they authorized to use that endpoint? And then I just do a straight request um, with Sinatra. I, I, and then the request comes back and I just pass it through directly with JSON. So all of the composition happens in the browser. Okay. And so um, in order for the whole page to feel lively and to make it feel like it's loading quickly, um, I, load, I load partial things at a time. So if I'm looking at a user, for example, um, the, the URL tells me what the user's username is. And I use that to resolve what their user ID is. And then I grab the user object of like the, from the user's service, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, and then, um, of course, they don't care about just the stuff on the user. They care about it's SoundCloud. They care about what tracks they've um, listened to. So then I grab those from a separate list. Mm -hmm. um, and then for all, each one of those tracks, um, it might be public or private, or um, you might be over quota, or it might have been taken down for copyright. So I fetch additional information from other services. And then, uh, you know, I need to, like, has this person ever been flagged for spam? I fetch that from another service. Mm -hmm. And so as all that stuff comes back, that part of the page renders. So you kind of get like the page loads in pieces, mm -hmm. um, but all pretty quickly actually. And because um, it's all, the Sinatra servers are in the same data center as, right. the, as the microservices. So mm -hmm. that's all happening pretty quickly. So that, uh, then it all generates on the front end. And then um, the big difference between my application and a lot of client-side applications is when you when you change url the page refreshes and this there's a sinatra server that just figures out what to do with that route so if you go from one user to the other it actually changes it like reloads the page mm -hmm. and if you go from a user to a track page it reloads the page mm -hmm. and that's just because um the way that the customer support people use the product, they go in, they look at a single user, they solve the problem, and then they go back to looking at their incoming cases queue. So they're not they're not immersed in the product and like using it and oh, like using it continuously. They're just using it repeatedly. So they go back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. So that kind of context switch of like going from my application and back again means that I don't need to be really concerned with um, 
you know, a page reload being really jarring. And secondly, um, when you, every, everything, um, everything that's static is cached. So like everything that runs the app is cached anyway. Um, and everything that's, that's not cacheable is never going to be, um, like all this, all the dynamic data, they're probably not going to look at that user again ever. Maybe. Right. Right. Like maybe they'll look at them a couple times in a week because that person, there's an ongoing conversation or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So that's how the system works. Um, so a lot of what I am doing is sort of plumbing these microservices up to my Sinatra servers. And, um, but, but a lot of the sort of important work is talking to the customer support people and saying, you know, what kind of problems are coming up that you're having a hard time getting answers to, or like what, uh, what kind of, um, what kind of tasks do you do that are actually kind of annoying to do that I can make less annoying. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that's the interaction design part. That's the product manager part. Mm-hmm. Just talking to talking to them. Cool. It's um, very interesting. So, so how has the the product of you? Have you been working there? Uh, have you been working on that one product the whole time you've been there? No. Um, before when I so I was originally hired to do something like this, and it was a little bit premature. So I spent um, the first little bit researching and um, coming up with some basic ideas and talking to some people, but then. Uh, after the preliminary time period, it was just not the right time to do that work. And I was hired because um, I had done that on contract. And then I was hired uh, full time because um, they liked my work style and they were liked the work I was doing. And I was working on similarly um, similar tools, but um, the audience are so-called rights holders. So there are... Um, there are some tools which we build for rights holders to use. We call them um, content partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and with these tools, they're able to do sort of administrative work themselves. There's um, a number of things that we'd like to offer them to make our platform appealing to them. Um, but in addition to that, there's also things that as a company we're obligated to do um, in order to protect so-called safe harbor. Mm-hmm. And, um, some of these tasks, um, th- like by law, they're allowed to contact us through any format. So they, they could like send us a letter or a fax or email us. Right. Um, and so what we have of, is, is tools that they can use to make that process a lot more efficient, essentially. Mm-hmm. So they make requests in such a way that we can process them much more easily. Um, I, I've heard that there, there was like a, a rumor or something like that about SoundCloud that SoundCloud enables their um, content partners to just go go ahead and delete people's tracks if they deem them to be like, you know, their tracks or something like that. Is that, yeah, is that true? Yeah, so that's, um, that's um, a misunderstanding. So okay. first of all, part of the rumor was that this just happened. Um, which it didn't happen just recently. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, our CTO, Eric, uh, put out a blog post kind of explaining this, but a lot of other things. But so the fundamental misunderstanding is that um, this is somehow new and that it's somehow special. Like I, th- I think the rumor was there was a specific 
record label that apparently had access to do this, which isn't true. Okay. Literally every single person in the world has the right to ask us to take something down if it belongs to them, mm-hmm. period. And we are obligated to believe them and we are obligated to take it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we choose to participate in a dispute process. Uh, in the US, we don't have that choice, but um, we choose to, um, we, we want to defend the rights of the person who uploaded it. Obviously, they have rights as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're able to then dispute that and there's a whole process. But, um, but the most important thing to know here is that we can't argue with anyone. So um, what I was describing to you are like easy ways for them to tell us something right. that we're obligated to do something about anyway. Okay. And that and that is what people misunderstood as like a way to delete things from the platform. Yeah. That's a that's a misunderstanding. It's essentially a very very sophisticated fax machine. You could think of it that way, right? But it, <laughs> But is it like a as, diary? Is it like an email system? No, of course not. It's a web form. I mean, of course, it's a web form <laughs> okay. that they they have access to in order for us to know it's them, um, right? And so then we can trace it back to them if there's a dispute coming up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, no. The um, it depend. I mean, it depends on how you frame it. But um, I think be- people people have this weird idea that you know we're somehow collaborating or like participating in some kind of illegal takedowns or like really malicious takedowns, but we're, we, we're not, we're just, we have the, I suppose we could go totally rogue and like not do, (laughs) not, not, not uh, follow the law. We could do that, but I mean, we're not really in a position to do that. Yeah. I mean, mean, it sounded also very, uh, kind yeah. of outrageous, like uh, access to the database by no, other. God, no. That doesn't make no. any sense. No, no, no. Not even the whole company does. I mean, obviously, right. the developers have developer level access, and those rights are restricted, and on and on. Obvi- and for the record, that is also a legal obligation on our part. It is we are legally required to put in reasonable restrictions to access our data, and and I don't know how much you know about data protection, but um. Uh, Germany is very strict. I think um, mm-hmm. the EU has got regulations, but but Germany is even. They're very. They take it very. Uh, not. I don't want to say extreme, but like. They're very compliant in mm-hmm. in their adherence to the guide guidelines. I guess is what I would say. And yeah. as a company operating in Germany, those are the guidelines we follow. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's absolutely no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so from then you went into you went to the internal tools for the for the support. yeah so I was doing that we called that partner tools mm-hmm. and then from there um, a very sort of similar ideas in terms of the kind of tools and then um, from there it became the time was ripe to work on these internal tools and you know I've worked on some other outward facing things as well but all the outward facing things that I have contributed to are all in this sort of vein of being tool-like. Um, so uh, not, not, the, not the really sexy things that most people think of, but much more utilitarian things, which I find really interesting. I, I personally find that stuff interesting. Not everyone does, but 
Yeah. So, like what? What did you... Um, so, uh, I feel a little embarrassed saying the kinds of things I work on because um, I have not had a chance to really work on them in order to make them really good. I've only really had an opportunity to make small improvements. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I, I don't really... I don't know. I don't really want to... I'm, if I say the sorts of things that, that I've been working on and someone um, someone goes and looks, I might be like, oh, man, that's not good at all. Like, anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. ask, me, ask me again in maybe six months or something when, I've, when I feel like I did a good job, um, okay. that I had the opportunity to really put some time into stuff. So. Sure. Because I've been so focused on this other thing that, right. um, um, yeah. Oh, to totally understand. I mean, anybody who built something, uh on the web we'll understand that <clears throat> yeah and then of course six months later you look back at your work and you're like man yeah why was i using that pattern what was i thinking <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh, i was wondering you said you so you're only using mustache and require js jquery uh, in your tool um uh doesn't uh, soundcloud uh, at least the uh, consumer facing part uh use what was it backbone they also use Backbone. Yeah. Um, and the other tool that I had been building before that, um, the, um, the partner tools that I mentioned, they, they were also using Backbone. Okay. Um, and So wouldn't it make sense to use Backbone as well for your thing since well, like, it's used so widely? So the parts of Backbone that I like are the routing mm -hmm. and the way that you um, save models. And my tool, I don't have routing in the client. Right. The routing is on the server. So that's not useful. And the other part of um, actually doing an update, like I don't, um, this sounds really crazy to people, but like, even though the forms themselves are rendered in JavaScript, and even though when you press save, it saves it with jQuery, um, it, it actually refreshes the page when it's successful. It doesn't actually communicate those things back to the views and then update them. It just refreshes the page. Mm -hmm. and, and part of the reason I did that was because, um, like I said, the, like, this was a distinct choice. And part of the reason was that um, it, I didn't want to be concerned with you know, consistency. Like I didn't want to have to debug that stuff. Mm -hmm. I just wanted someone to be like, if you refresh the page and you get the data fresh, is it actually like that on the server? Right. Cause mm -hmm. what this person is trying to do is debug a problem. So they want to be confident that it's like not something wrong with my interface. Mm -hmm. And I was the only person working on it. So doing the front end. So it's not like, you know, I even had someone to look over my shoulder too often, but this, but the second reason, and I think I mentioned this one is, I, I don't know, it took me some time to wrap my head around back, how Backbone was working when mm -hmm. I first started using it, like, and how, how um, the cause and effect of updating things mm -hmm. uh, on the screen. And I wanted this uh, tool to be something that non-JavaScript programmers, people who worked on backend tools, could say, oh, you know, somebody from customer support really needs this piece of data. I would like to connect up my 
web service to yours and then like display that data somewhere. And I didn't want those people who were coming to back to bone from not a JavaScript background to be like, how does this thing work? Mm -hmm. Where can I read about this? Like I just, yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want that. So I wanted to strip it down as much as possible. So there was a really low barrier for like coming in. And so when you look at the components, all the methods that you need are kind of there. Mm -hmm. And the, the updates and the gets and everything are just vanilla, vanilla jQuery is a funny thing to say, <laughs> yeah. but they're like, you know, you know, dollar yeah. dot Ajax. Right. And, um, they look like something that a person who's, who knows some jQuery, who knows JavaScript, but their specialty is, you know, some, some, you know, go or Scala or Ruby or whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, that's their specialty. And so that's the other reason why I wanted to have a module system, because I think, a lot of other languages have that and, and they, and, and that's where the require part comes in. The other reason why I use require is because, um, there's a lot of sort of shared components across the different types of pages. Mm -hmm. And so by using require, I can just pull them all together and have, um, have one bundled thing. And so what are your favorite or most common used patterns then um that that you that you use in order to keep your code kind of structured and uh, to keep yourself sane so i i don't know that they're good choices but i do have some favorite things and one of them is um um each one of my components um renders a view when you initialize it and as i said it never really re-renders itself if if data changes successfully, it the page reloads. Mm -hmm. If if there's an error, it shows an error. But if it's rendered successfully, it just reloads the page. Um, and so um, I have all these components, and each component is a module that exposes an init um, method, mm -hmm. and that init method, when you execute it, um, renders a renders a component somewhere. And um, I, I, this, I, I, basically it makes the modules quite difficult to unit test, which I realize is a problem. Um, <laughs> um, which is something, which is why I'm saying it's not great, but it, but it ends up looking quite cute, which is not a good, not a good pattern, not a good reason to do something <laughs> at all. What do you, um, what do you mean to look cute? Well, I, you know, I have these modules, and then. Um, to initialize them, I just the module run the module as a function, mm -hmm. um, and I pass it the target element that it's supposed to be rendered in, and the data that it needs to render it. Maybe it's just an ID of a track or ID of a user or something. Mm -hmm. And then that module, when it initializes, it grabs the information and then on success renders itself in that place. Mm -hmm. So there's so it's pretty it's it's. So it's cute, um, but uh, um, I don't like. I said I don't know that it's necessarily best because I, I, it's difficult for me to to unit test things. That said, um, all these components do is fetch things and then render them essentially, and um, maybe put a few event listeners on for uh, you know. Um, 
causing other uh, components to render and stuff. Yeah. But um, the all the sort of more interesting stuff I put in in little library files, and that, those are tested and testable. Oh yeah. And they have they expose a bunch of methods. So I have this sort of. Um, so you have like uh, utility libraries that yeah, you wrote yourself. Or yeah. Like so any any anything that I consider to be um, something other than uh, like a there's yeah so like if I want to display the time and I want a little library that does that that's its own lot like little utility mm -hmm. test um, yeah so that's I don't know the, so the the pattern is that I have these components and it's funny because I would always be looking to other frameworks to try and figure out if what I was doing made any kind of sense mm -hmm. um, and for a long time, these these modules even had the completely wrong name. They, I used to call them views. They're not views at all. Okay. And um, and <clears throat> so I I'm really interested in starting to look at React. And in fact, so we have we have developers also in New York, and uh, the people in New York um, are also building front end stuff, and. Uh, there's at least one person there who's using React, mm. and he's given a talk about it at uh, Brooklyn JS, I think, mm -hmm. recently. Um, and he also gave a talk at when he was in the office. And um, I also seen another talk recently, and I, I feel like that it is the closest to what I'm doing. Actually, mm -hmm. it's really appealing. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's the most. It's the most. Um, it's, it really sounds like the most like what I've been doing. And um, the only, there, I tried to like look into it on my own. And I, there was a, a one detail that I couldn't figure out, which is that, um, you know, React doesn't provide any way of um, um, managing your, your data. And, um, the, but when I looked into it, there were like all these choices and they, they, were, they were not very um, opinionated about exactly which one. And so I was like, oh, I don't really have the energy to test all of these and figure out which one actually is the best. But what I have understood, if I've understood correctly, that Flux is the thing that I want. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's it. That's the one. Use that one, basically. Yeah, that's uh, what Facebook does. I mean, they, they definitely, they held a very interesting, very compelling uh, talk on their last developer conference where they were talking about React and after yeah. that no first I think they talked about Flux and then React I don't know yeah uh, so yeah that was so since the last time I looked it has become obvious to me that what I really need to look into next is Flux and then it, maybe that solves my problem because I think like I said it really seems to be what um what I want and some of the other things that come with it seem to be solving problems that I have. So yeah, that's where I would go next personally. Yeah. And and we do use that at SoundCloud, as I said. Yeah. Um there's an there's a let's call him an evangelist, uh going around and talking it up. So um we'll see we'll see how that spreads or not. So. Um there's also uh we had an um in our, uh, in our user group, the JavaScript meet, meetup uh, in Karlsruhe, there was this guy, he held a talk about React and also Flux and also something that's actually called Reflux, which is basically Flux, but um, a, a little bit simplified, I would say. Um, 
and there's maybe that's also something that would be interesting for you to look into because uh, how I just the gist of it is that in flux you have you have the you have this dispatcher in the middle that kind of takes care of everybody gets notified mm -hmm. about you know changes and um, and this dispatcher gets really big really large and you have just a big like switch case thing in there or if um, right. uh, um, um, yeah. Uh, what do you call that in English? If uh, things, if he's if, if whatever. <laughs> um, if sorry. If blocks. Um, yeah. If, if statements. Blocks. If statements. That's it. Exactly. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it just gets really big and messy, and the reflux thing just puts that into the different components or modules or something okay. like that. Uh, might be interesting because it's a little bit more. It seemed a little bit more efficient. Do you yeah. remember the name of the person who gave? I guess I can look it up um no because i mean you can look it up but you won't find a video or anything like that right. we didn't, we didn't uh, make any recordings but i i can find i guess i could find the the slides yeah because someone you. someone recently um at the end of last year gave a talk at berlin js and i just wondered if it was the same person um I don't think so. and, mm -mm. and he was going to do a follow-up talk but he's actually not from berlin okay and he, and he had to go back to wherever it is he's from, I'm, I don't remember, but yeah, he, his talk was very good. And I'd already been interested in react and I saw his talk and I was like, this sounds good. I really want to hear the second part, but he didn't yeah. do the second part yet. So yeah. anyway, react, react is, uh, is really, and they, they made an announcement. Right I don't know if you caught that. They just made an announcement, uh, react native. I don't know the details, something, something native react. Like no, not, I have not heard about HTML, that. Um, on mobile devices. Don't know the details. Breaking, oh, wow. breaking news. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Got to cool. link that up. Yeah. Don't know the details. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking, I have, actually, I have, um, in one of my picks, there is, there is a library that might also be interesting for you because, mm -hmm. uh, um, coming now that I, now, now that I think of it, because, um, um, <clears throat> One of my colleagues um, basically pushed me into the into the direction to look at Flight JS from Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, because the site that we're currently working on, uh, it doesn't need a big framework. Uh, you know, it's not a single page app or anything like that. And um, anything like Angular or 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 React or whatever would be just would just be too too big and just uh, would come with too much baggage that you wouldn't uh would yeah. need and all we need is really just little components to to attach them to a dom node a little bit like the jquery plugins but better and 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 flight chairs is actually just that they they come with mm. components they're very easily testable Mm. You communicate uh, via events. You can have little, you can create mix-ins that you can reuse in all your components. And uh, it's something that is really, it's kind of, you don't really hear about it anymore. There was an announcement years ago, I think, and uh, saying, hey, this is our thing. And nobody really listened because there was this, there was already Backbone, there was Angular, there was Ember and stuff. All the big ones were already fighting it out. And, right. Uh, and also because because uh, Twitter Flight is not is not a framework like that, but it's it's like a better it's a better solution for for websites that that ha that have the, the classic kind of 
you know, request cycle. A little bit of, yeah, a little and, bit of JavaScript. Yeah, and just a little bit of, just components on the site that, um, that need to be, that, that need to be modular, uh, you, because also, uh, you can also, um, you know, compose one component out of three small, uh, three small, small ones if you want and just have them communicate through events and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> I found I found that really um, really cool um, actually when I looked yeah, into it. Yeah, you know it's funny. I once saw a talk about this, and I understood more about it from your small description than from that talk. Oh, so wow. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely uh, look look at that because it sounds like that. Um, also, uh, you would n not really need React necessarily. Uh, yeah i don't could, need to could, could be fun definitely working with it but like yeah. the page doesn't react yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that's it, why it i was could. thinking about it I, it could and I, I think there were some components that i really you know a reload was a bit much mm -hmm. which is why i started thinking about you know is there some other little little fix just for these little pieces like i can't think of a good example right now but there are examples where I don't want the whole page to reload. That's just a bit in your face. Mm -hmm. Like maybe the person needs to do a couple actions in a row and I don't want to, I don't want to make them, you know, edit a form. I want them to be able to just click here and there. But yeah, so that's interesting. Just a little touch. It might also be a, a, a concern that React is, as far as I know, I don't know um, exactly how much it is, but it's, it's uh, quite heavy. Like it's a lot of code, this whole mm -hmm um virtual dom thing so if you right. have to if you have to uh, load the page a lot um i mean i guess you your browser would have cached it you know uh from a, yeah from, from i mean the first time but i have this um i have this one component it's not a it's it's a reusable component and it's for forms because whenever someone wants to edit they click a you know edit this or whatever and then it a form shows and that doesn't have a page reload that's actually switching out one piece of code for another mm -hmm. um and that form is um you know pretty i don't know that it's the um i don't know how approachable it is for somebody who's just coming to the project and if the whole point of me using not a framework is to make the whole project approachable and that one main component makes it unapproachable, that's kind of a failure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, um, so it would be interesting just to see how big it is. But, you know. Yeah. So I have so, yeah. I, 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 um, the, the other thing too, and I think this is a fair thing to mention, is because the people are my colleagues and because there's so few of them, um, I just dictate that I only support Chrome essentially, which I realize right. doesn't function as a, as an outward facing product, unless you're like, I don't know, WhatsApp or something, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but, um, they prefer to use Chrome because it has these profiles. So, you know, mm -hmm. as a, as a copyright support person, they want to keep their, all their stuff separate and they have used profiles, I think they're called, yeah. um, whatever. And so they all use Chrome anyway. And, um, so I don't have to be concerned about um, checking across browser. Um, oh, yeah. And my argument is like, I'm just one person. I don't, I don't think it's valuable for me to, to do that kind of checking when I could be building you other awesome things. No, that makes so, total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So there's a lot of things that like, I don't have to, 
I don't have to be super concerned. And the other thing is, um, like I, I didn't, I didn't mention, but occasionally I decide to use underscore, not all the time mm -hmm. because Chrome has a lot of the things I need, you right. know, I don't mm -hmm. need to worry about an each method on arrays. It's right. there for each is there. It's fine. There you go. Reduce map. It's all there. I don't have to have a library for that because mm -hmm. I don't have to support anything but the newest Chrome. Um, what, what luxury. <laughs> yeah, total luxury. That's it really great. is obvious, obviously. And I think the fact that I don't use these, any other libraries, um, that's part of it, right? I, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah cool. I use what's in Chrome and uh, it's good to go. So what would you say are the, like, the most important, most interesting things that you've learned uh, at SoundCloud? The most interesting and important things I've learned at SoundCloud as a programmer or just in general or well, I guess probably well, as a programmer? Actually, both is interesting to me. Um, huh. I don't know that I've really thought about it. Um, I think one thing that I've learned is, um, and I don't know that I learned this specifically at SoundCloud, but um, there are a lot of things that I think of as kind of intimidating that, you know, somebody else knows that and I don't. Mm -hmm. And um, I've become a lot better at, at just saying, well, like, why don't I try it? I'll try it. Nobody, nobody has to know if I fail. I don't have to tell them if I did it, if I screwed up. I'm just going to try it. And when I say like screw it up, I don't mean like deploy something and the site comes down. I mean like, you know, this code doesn't actually run. <laughs> um, and I, I've um, realized that, you know, I, there are a lot of things I'm able to do that I think of as not my domain. Um, you know, if I just actually take a minute and think about it and try, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of other people operate differently than I do, but um because I've been working kind of alone, um, not entirely alone, as I said, but because I work on this sort of isolated product um, that's not the real thing, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of little things I need to do. Um, so I've just I've learned about how to how to ask people to help me with things or verify things and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that I can get by with a lot of stuff because in the past. I also was like, I don't really want to learn a lot of that stuff, not because it's not interesting to somebody, but, you know, I can't know everything. I can't do everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, can usually get by. But um, I don't um, – I'm not sure what um, – what else I've specifically learned. I had never really done any Ruby before I came to SoundCloud and I've had to do some of that. <laughs> For the Sinatra? For the stuff. Sinatra stuff, but also the, um, so SoundCloud previously and somewhat still was one monolithic code base and that code base was Ruby. And so if you wanted to um, understand even how things did work, you would need to sort of dig around in there. Mm. Um, and that's all in Rails. Um, that's something that um, we're continuing to pull apart. But um, in order to to kind of make some progress and understand, mm -hmm. you have to know Ruby through that. So not just for Sinatra. Right. Although Sinatra is very cute for what it's 
for for what I use it for. It's very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because you don't need a lot of functionality, right? No. Yeah. The the and the reason why I even have the Sinatra servers is so that I don't have to um, get the other people running the other service to support cores because I could do that too, but right. that would suck. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah makes sense. <laughs> and I don't and I don't want my product to be a backdoor to or rather a front door to all these microservices, which is why every single endpoint is brokered by these Sinatra servers to verify that the person has authentication. Mm -hmm. So even if they have access to Sonar, which is the product I do, they don't, they can't just, you know, make a request to any endpoint on any of the supported microservices. They actually are own. they're limited by what's um, supported. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. The microservices thing, uh, one of my colleagues is, is kind of uh, internally um, advocating for microservices currently for different projects. Yeah. He's trying to get that arch architecture in and trying to create some, create some uh, consciousness about it, some, you know, knowledge uh, at the clients, um, uh, with the clients and also with us internally. And, yeah. Uh, I think he's been he's been sending around that soundcloud article uh, yeah <laughs> well, i think there's a conference coming up yes yes he's actually also going there to that yeah. conference yeah you know that said there are absolutely successful companies that do not operate that way etsy facebook oh yeah i, I want to say google like i, I, I want to say most companies <laughs> yeah most companies yeah there's, there's obviously challenges when you're working in this microservices environment mm -hmm. um you know some that you wouldn't anticipate and some that you would but um you know just communicating um that's a lot more communicating as opposed to you know joining or or something it's so that that's something you have to handle and and when everything is you know distributed then you have to be concerned about uh consistency like mm -hmm. minor minor things that that wouldn't come up outside of a microservices environment of You know, a track is created, and then a follow-up action is requested. Um, and that follow-up action talks to a service, which verifies the um, person who's trying to take the action as having as owning that track, so that only the owner of the track can do that thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that service, which is doing the secondary action, is like, wait a second, let me now verify the authentication. Like, let me let's, let me make sure that's okay, and then it'll say who's the owner of this track but the system which answers that question is like what track <laughs> okay. because it's like slightly delayed right so then what do you do when you hmm. get a 404 do you do you wait a second and try again how many times do you try mm -hmm. you know is there a is there a, a consistent agreed pattern for how frequently you should try and what is the back off rate and and so on mm -hmm. so these are the kinds of things that that come up Mm -hmm. um and yeah. you have to think about yeah very interesting yeah <laughs> you wouldn't really uh yeah uh, and that can can of course yeah if you do it wrong there's going to be lots of performance uh concerns <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah uh, yeah it's interesting because i yeah you would have never, would have never thought about that before 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not obvious. And then, um, you know, to people who study distributed system, it's very obvious. Of course, they think right. it's very obvious. But it's not obvious to everyone else who hasn't thought about it or hasn't encountered it before. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you start to see this happen again and again, you start to think, well, you know, how many different services should I be really involving? Is there any way that they should be grouped up? And of course, different people have different ideas about what is considered related. Like, is this part of that microservices mandate or is it a different, should it be a different thing? Is it a different thing? Is it a different thing that already exists? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I can see that. It's a, must be, must be, yeah, you really have to think, think hard about how you, how you slice it all up. Yeah. Right. And then as the person who builds the system, which the customer support people use, they, they'll, they'll see something wrong when they're using my tool. And they don't know where the data is coming from or what service is involved. So they don't know who to report a problem to. Now, there's a whole channel of people on call if, if it's after hours or whatever, but maybe it's not a major thing. Ah, it's, okay, because it's different teams, of course, that, that are work doing on different those. things. Yeah. yeah. So then they'll, um, they'll come to me and say, oh, I'm experiencing this error message of this type. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have to think, I can either, you know, I have to basically trace it back and say, aha, yeah, so the problem is, is this, and you have to talk to those people because I'm the one who can translate that error message they're seeing mm -hmm. to which service it's coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. they, and, and I'm, and not, it's not just that I'm a developer. It's just that it's also that I know how I, how, what plumbing I did to, connect up that piece of information to mm -hmm. some service right mm -hmm. so yeah i end up being mm, uh the first line of um troubleshooting for a lot of different things for them mm -hmm. so, yeah because you're the one who gets gets to use the the services first no right no, well it's not that i use them first necessarily it's that um the customer support people don't know where that piece of information um, comes from. So they're looking at a screen, and instead of seeing a piece of information that they're expecting, it, there's an error message. Yeah, yeah. So I display the error message of like, oh, you know, I can't fetch that piece of data. Oh, they, they have to go to you, and then you have to figure out. Yeah, yeah so then they'll come mm -hmm. to me, and because sometimes the error message, if, if it was a really great error message and I was feeling really um, inspired that day, it's, <laughs> it'll say like, there's a problem with the such and such a service. Okay. Talk mm -hmm. to these people, right? Yeah. Um, like uh, this team or whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, that would make sense to yeah. just bake it into the error message. Yeah. Error message, but some right? of the error messages are, you know, it's supposed to be a label. So there's a piece of information that we pull from one service and it's basically a label. It's true or false, on or off. And if it's, if it's false, there's just no label. If there's true, there's a label. Mm -hmm. And if there's an error there's only enough room where the label is. So instead of okay. being a, an error, it's just like, you know, error fetching and then in where they expect it to be. Mm -hmm. But there's not really enough space there to, to go into detail about exactly what's wrong. Right. You know, hmm. so I guess I could have a dedicated place on the page where I gave more detailed errors. But yeah, most of the time they just ask me and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what's wrong. So, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I translate, essentially. Yeah. So. 
Um, so what is the that other project you're doing? Um, we are awesome. We are all awesome. Yeah, so I wouldn't call it a project so much as a uh, sort of a, well, I'll describe it. So a couple years ago, there were kind of a number of things happening in my head all at one time. And um, there had been a blog post. So first of all, what We Are All Awesome is, is a call to action. It's um, it's it's aimed at women who are in the tech industry who are kind of thinking about maybe doing tech talks. Mm -hmm. They're like, maybe this is something I'd like to do. And it's supposed to be kind of like a pep talk um, saying like, you, we are all awesome. You're awesome. This is going to be great. You're going to do a great job. Trust me, you're going to do a great job. You think you're not going to do a great job, but you're going to do a great job. And in case you doubt yourself, here are some resources for you to get better. So here's how, here's some tips on making great slides or here's some tips on, you know, what, how to develop a topic and stuff. So that's what the site is. It's kind of a resource for people to go to. And I mean, anybody can get the resources. It's not exclusive in that regard um, to yeah. go and, you know, find out resources for being a better tech speaker. And the way this whole thing came about was, and, and I just want to clarify that I, I don't think that it's exclusively on women to put themselves forward and go and speak at conferences. I think that's just one aspect of what can happen to bring more women to the stage. And none of that explains why I think it's important that more women should come to the stage. And I think the reason for that is that, um, it's all about visibility and showing other people, um, both other women and everyone else, that there are women in this community um, of, you know, developers um, making that have something interesting to say, and kind of getting up there. And if you know very much about, um, you know, the way the human mind perceives things, um, it. It, uh, it generalizes and finds patterns. And so if it glances over a room and there's, you know, only a handful of women, they're basically invisible because they just sort of, you know, aren't there. Um, and by getting on stage and by, by actually, you know, talking and being competent in front of a group, it, you're very visible. You're like, oh, look, there's a, there's a woman. Huh. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the purpose for getting women on stage. But, you know, putting yourself forward is just one aspect of it. and. Um, so a few years ago when this whole thing was getting going, I've been kind of thinking about, um, the fact that I had started becoming a speaker and, um, I had advice for people, but also, um, I, I, I had been motivated to get up on stage, um, by kind of telling myself, you know, I can't, it's the whole you can't control anyone but yourself idea. You know, you can't control anyone's actions but your own. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in seeing more women on stage and you're a woman who has some experience in tech, then, like, the only person you can control is yourself. <laughs> and so if you want more people on stage, you need to get up there. Mm -hmm. That is who you can most directly influence is your own decisions. So that's the 
purpose of the site. Um, and um, at the same time, um, Jan Lennart came to me, and we were we were already friends and um, knew each other from uh, Berlin JS and so on. And he came to me and said uh, that he wanted to have um, uh, a woman on the conference organization team because he thought that was important. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, did this interest me and so on. And um, he'd been reading some other blog posts and we'd been reading some of the same ones talking about bringing more women onto the stage and what was kind of needed there. There was like a multi-prong approach of um, recruiting women and having an anonymous um, selection process um, to make um, the women who are selected um, feel valued for their ideas. And um, I told him, you know, I also have this, this, it's kind of maybe a blog post, but I don't have a blog. This blog post that's like, hey, if you want to see more women on stage, then you should get up there. Um, and I had this idea at the same time. So we thought, let's do a multi-prong approach here. And one of the components is this site. And um, so it was sort of a prerequisite for a bunch of other stuff. So I, you know, put up a bunch of stuff and I wrote this, you know, open letter and I put it on the site and it really resonated. Like it, it was massively retweeted. Um, it came at a really interesting time with a discussion of some other things that were going on. And, um, I got some, I got some negative reaction too. people who were like, Hey, I don't like speaking. So back off. Um, and, and my reaction was like, this isn't aimed at you. This is not, you know, not everyone can do everything, you know, mm -hmm. not asking you to, to do things you can't do. So, and then there were other people who, um, that, that was like the biggest negative reaction and it wasn't even very big mm -hmm. people who were like, you know, um, lay off me kind of thing. This is a very difficult thing you're asking because I have stage fright and I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> Don't do it then. <laughs> uh, do something else. Um, and, uh, but really, yeah, quite a lot of people um, resonated with them for some reason. And um, uh, at the same time, we made this recruiting effort with JSConf EU and um, linked back to the page. And the page has become sort of a place where anybody who wants to explicitly encourage newcomers, and especially women newcomers, yeah. To say, hey, we're looking for new people. If you really have no idea how to get started, here's some tips. Here's like a site that's going to have some advice. Um, and so it's kind of been sitting there and I've, I did a few updates and um, there were other people who wanted it to be more than that. They wanted to um, build in like a speaker directory. And I was like, look, uh, anything that has some kind of database behind it, I'm not for. That's what I know. <laughs> If somebody else wants to build a speaker directory, awesome. And then, if it, then, then that happened since then. There's now this articulate um, speaker directory, and then they partnered with Lanyard, and it's on Lanyard now. Oh, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so if, you, if you're specifically trying to recruit a woman or more than one to come speak at your conference on a specific topic, you can go there and look and then directly pitch people. But that's for people who have already spoken, I think. Okay. And then... So, so that has happened since then. And but then, 
the other thing was, um, you know, people wanted to to have a list of CF um, of CFPs that they could um, CPFs. Man, I don't know why that acronym sounds weird to me. CFPs um, of talks that of conferences that were specifically and explicitly inviting women. And I was like, I don't really want to maintain that list either. And then there's a sir, someone else has taken that on. There's like a, I think it's called Callback Women is a Twitter account that if you want to hear about CFPs, they'll, you can follow them. So I think like people wanted to ram all that into this one thing. And I was like, no, this is really just a call to action. And, and I'm happy to encourage all those other things, but you know, um, it can't be everything to everyone so yeah so that's what that project is um but you know it's it's not an ongoing uh thing that i'm working on and in fact the uh, look of it um jan uh in in his effort to um he he helped me out at the beginning kind of just getting it up and going and getting jekyll set up and stuff and Mm -hmm. github pages and stuff and he like picked a theme randomly and that's it. And we've been, I've been like, I never really liked that color theme. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, sh- I guess if I really cared, I would do something about it. So, um, it's never been a project that I, um, could, I don't know. I, I wrestled with Jekyll for a little while and, um, I was like, this isn't, it's fine. The text is there. Yeah. It's there basically. That's what's important. Yeah. 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 So that that was there. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a good. It's good to have those resources, I guess, for and for anybody. I mean, that, that's also, I guess, yeah. why it's not it's not only directed to female speakers. Yeah. yeah, and the other there have been a few others since then, of a similar type, and there were always um, there were I, I I don't know what other sites there were that had like a number of resources on a different a bunch of different aspects. But since then, there's, um, I can think of at least two other really comprehensive sites in in terms of, um, here's some tips for slides, here's some tips for developing a narrative and stuff. Right. That are also really good resources, so. Mm -hmm. So since when have you been um, part of the JSConf EU or org team? Yeah, so that was... um, that was around the same time, like I said. Um, I'd have to look that up, actually. Um, I'm gonna get the numbers wrong if I do it if I do it otherwise. Mm-hmm. So let me think. Um, there was this past year's 2014. Yeah. And I was involved with that absolutely. And then before that was 2013, and I was definitely involved with that. Um, and the planning starts kind of the summer before, or like the the year before, and I. I want to say that might be it. I think it's a bit, it's a bit tricky for me because I also, you know, in some ways participated in the other ones because I, um, um, I've been at all of them. Okay. I'm really not even sure. Um, wow. Maybe 2012 as well. I, I really, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> Maybe I was involved with 2012 as well. Well, let's take it. I, I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, yeah. like a couple years. Yeah. Two or three years. Oh, yes. I was definitely involved with 2012. Okay. 2012 was the year that we had a bubble. 
Did you attend this conference? Uh, no. There was like an inflatable, transparent. I think I yeah I saw the videos, but yeah. I, I wasn't there. Yeah, it was pretty pretty. It was it was great. Yeah, it looked cool. Also, yeah, it was great, but also the space wasn't quite big enough, and then we ended up having to put together an overflow room. Mm -hmm. That was pretty fun. But then there was this crazy afternoon thunderstorm where um the bubble was in kind of like the hinterhof of the building we were at mm -hmm. and uh for whatever reason the pressure dropped and the bubble started to lift up what yeah it started <laughs> to like lift off the ground oh, like wow. the edges started to pull up and um the people who were you know somehow manning this bubble i guess there's people who have to you know be around for to make sure nothing happens came in and were like so no one's allowed to leave right now because maybe the people who are left will get lifted off the ground so we <laughs> there was it was a really dicey like 10 or 20 minutes where people couldn't leave the bubble wow it was pretty amazing but it was a really it was really great because when it was raining you there were bean bags Mm -hmm. sit in the beanbag and then like the rain would be coming down on this transparent it was really quite cool but it wasn't big enough and it was yeah a little bit terrifying for a brief period of time yeah i can imagine yeah <laughs> so yeah i was involved with 2012 <laughs> is okay. the point yeah so what are you what are you doing uh on that on the team what is what's your there's um so there's four of us and We all do a little bit of whatever we're specialized at. Um, but um, as the two people who are based in Berlin, my, myself and Jan, um, Jan and I do um, a lot of the like Berlin coordinating of things. Like um, in, in the past, I've been the one who sets up, you know, the pre-party pre location or the post-party location or we work with organizers like volunteer organizers locally to do that or setting up. We have this post-conference brunch. So dealing with that. Mm -hmm. But um, oh, one of, and, and all of us curate. So um, all of us, when the talks come in, um, go through uh, every, single every single talk description and, and rank it. Um, again, mm -hmm. anonymized. And then uh, after the first ranking, um, we combine our ranks and then, uh, we review the top talks mm -hmm. and, um, looking for like duplication of topics and, uh, maybe even duplication of proposals that's happened. Um, that kind of stuff. So we, so we curate that together. That's a pretty big job, but, um, we, we collaborate and agree on, you know, not just the program, but also, um, you know, oh, are we going to have, you know, are we going to have a bubble this year? Are we going to have some other um, interesting add-on? But the other thing is, um, I'm not sure how this happened, but my responsibility is to announce the speakers. So when we're running up to the conference, um, every day we release the speakers to the website and we tweet about it. And that's one of that's one of my big responsibilities, actually. That's <laughs> like, which is way more work than you might think. <laughs> really? Trying to come up with well, because we could just be like this talk by this person, right? Mm -hmm. We're just really utilitarian about it. But I try and I try and uh, 
make it sound a little exciting in addition to mentioning the talk and mentioning who it is and linking all in 140 characters. Oh, yeah. So it's it's editorial work, actually. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah that's, that's work, for sure. Yeah, and, it, and it's more time-consuming than you'd think. And, um, and the worst thing is when you're like, oh, my God, it's 4.30, and I really should do this this afternoon, and, like, I have this thing I'm doing, and, yeah, it's... It's to be a little bit pressure, but um, I finally streamlined it this year. So hopefully next year it's like really smooth. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> I just went on the site and it's all uh, it's just like white with text. Is is there going to be a new site coming up? For Very me? soon. Oh yeah, cool. Yes. Watch your watch your browsers. <laughs> we are uh, we're reviewing the the new stuff. Uh -huh. um, and we'll be announcing more details than these pretty soon mm. very soon yeah are you working with somebody else to to do design and implementation or something yeah. like that yeah um, so the person who organizes um, one of the two key organizers of JSConf EU um, is uh, Christina and she has been involved with JSConf EU Web design, shirts design, logo design for a long time, maybe since the beginning even. Mm. Um, like she, she's also friends with um, Jan, and um, so she's uh, she's doing the design mostly. This page was me, just because I was like, "Look, what information do we need? We'll put it out there." <laughs> this this one's technically my work, but um, well, to be honest, I think it's actually a little nicer than what was there before got some charm yeah yeah um so, yeah so we're doing a whole new site this time and um it's coming along soon very soon yeah cool can't say any more details but um no it's a fantastic conference i was there i was there actually the for the first time last time okay last yeah. year yeah but yeah. I, I of course i wanted to be i wanted to be there all the other years before uh also yeah but it just didn't work out for me yeah so I, was, i was very happy to yeah i attend. was lucky in the past um The year before I was involved, I was working with SoundCloud and I, I got to go as a SoundCloud employee, as a sponsor. And then since then, I've been involved with the conference and I went to the first one. I went to the first one, second one, I went to the parties, third one, SoundCloud paid. And then uh, since then, I'm directly involved. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We were also a sponsor last time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well. Yeah. So that was good for me. Yeah. <laughs> good go. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Um. Yeah. Cool. It's so. As I I wrote you before, maybe we can talk about this a little bit. Uh, my my wife uh, was interested in, in that question. If if you have um experienced sexism in 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 any way as a developer. A female developer in this in this field. Yeah, so I I can't. I don't feel like I have any specific instances that I can point to. I think that one of the one of the biggest um, um, not problems. I wouldn't call this a problem. One of the one phenomenon that happens is that you can't. It's, some of this stuff isn't just not overt, right? It's not explicit. Somebody's not like, listen, toots, women don't belong here. Like, it's not really explicit. Yeah. Um, some of it's just a little subtle. subtle and yeah. Uh, yeah. And so 
I, I, and I remember when I was, you know, in university thinking like, you know, feminism is, is uh, no longer necessary. And, you know, we're past all that. And I remember there was a woman uh, then who was, you know, trying to talk about sexism and engineering. And I was like, what's sexism? What are you talking about? And I'm really interested if I were to go back and look and just see like what she was seeing that I wasn't seeing, because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of just really subtle things that I'm seeing and it's not explicit and it's really hard to point at. Um, The other thing is that, you know, there is so much social conditioning, not just in the tech environment, but just everywhere. Like there's all this, um, this social conditioning of like what it is to be male and female and um, the kind of what it, how, what you need to do to conform. And um, that I, that I no longer see that there's, you know, some sexism in tech thing. There's just sexism. Like it's just there. It's just like, and some of it is, some of it is really hard to explain to people why it's so irritating and like why, why you can't unsee it when you see it. And um, I think the one thing that that gets that helps me is like I don't think very many people are intentionally malicious. They're not bad people, and they're not they really they're really just socially conditioned, like we all are, and they just don't see it. They just really don't get it. Yeah. Um. And so anytime I encounter somebody who's being what I consider to be blatantly sexist really really infrequently is that person aware and they really don't mean to be mm-hmm. and that's not a justification at all but it it's not like i get riled up about it or really angry about it i understand that people are there are people who are fully sick of it and are angry but i'm just like that's <sighs> kind of how i see things and um i try and approach people and say like, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but um, that thing you said or that that thing you mentioned, you know, it's actually really sexist. I don't know if you were noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't used to notice, but maybe you'll notice in the future. Mm-hmm. And when you approach people as kind of like a, you know, hey, um, here's a, here's an observation, they take it a lot better. <laughs> And they, and they start noticing things. It's like the coincidences. You know, as soon as you mention something to someone, they start to see it. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I approach things as like, did you ever notice this weird thing? Huh? Mm. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so, and, and, and so trying to get people to notice these really intangible, subtle things um, is kind of how I go about it. But I can't think of any specific examples and... If I try and give a specific example, people are like, that's what you care about? Get over it. Like, like yeah. um, you know, so, and, and um, back to SoundCloud, there's a really, um, a lot of people there who are quite vocal about stuff um, mm-hmm. to the point where, um, for example, we have um, at SoundCloud, there's a specific small room dedicated to breastfeeding. Oh, wow. Okay. That's what it, so, but it's, but I say it's dedicated to breastfeeding, but we've talked about this. And the the room is called Mother's Room. Mm. And if no one's using it, um, you're, you can use it as a phone booth. You can make a Skype call or whatever. 
It's called the mother's room. And people were like, well, what if you bring in your baby and you're a man and you want to feed your baby? Like, shouldn't we call it like the baby room or, you know, like the baby feeding room? And so eventually they decided that um, what we should call it is actually um, Stillraum, which, as you know, in German, Stillen is not just feeding, but also calming a baby. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's like, oh, well, we're going to have to explain to people what that means if they don't speak German. And we're like, yeah, but that's kind of a cool name. It's not super challenging. Like, yeah. On your way to the Stillraum, you're like, oh, you know, the word Stillen in German means to feed and also soothe. Mm -hmm. Okay, draw the curtain. See you later. Like it. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that people are conscious of where they're like, you know, not just mothers feed their babies. Mm -hmm. So maybe we shouldn't gender the room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and these are the kind of conversations people have. And, and you know, they're going to read the name of the new room. So mm -hmm. it's this subtle stuff, which is... Um, quite encouraging that people yeah. are paying attention to so Very cool yeah so um so we're, we're saying that basically um the sexism is is basically in the society and it's it's not necessarily you know f focused on on one group of people or uh, a profession so i was also i was also thinking um the problem also already starts that that there's not a lot of female um engineers or just women in like more technical jobs and i feel like <clears throat> this seems to be something that is not necessarily or not at all the case because the job is you know not female or something like that it's just mm -hmm. because society doesn't encourage that for 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 or, women or worse actively discourages it yes exactly yeah. so both right yeah And, and I was wondering since, since you studied something that was, uh, you know, what was non, it? Electrical, non electrical engineering, yeah, sort engineering. Of so very technical. Yeah. Not, not a traditional, not marketing, you know, like, yeah, uh, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, so how, how'd that happen? Yeah. How, like, how, does that, how, yeah. How did that happen? And is, does it have something to do with, with your upbringing maybe? That, that that wasn't discouraged or yeah so um so first of all i was the first person in my family to go to university um my um mother went to university but she actually started the same year as i did oh. and yeah she went back to university or went to university i guess to the same one No, she went to a different university, thank thankfully. Um oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um but so um, how did that happen is I, so I was always strong at math, um, in school, um, and science. Um, but I was also, you know, strong in a lot of things. Um, I was very interested in art and so on. Not very athletic, <laughs> but strong at other things. And, um, I, I, like, I didn't know what engineering was. Anybody who, lot, it's really hard to explain what engineering is to anybody at any point, let alone to a, you know, 15-year-old in high school or whatever. But um, so what, what it was is that the, 
the local university, which is actually the university my mother went to, um, they had a women in engineering day when I was, I want to say like 12 or something. Mm-hmm. I want to say I was 12 years old. I may like grade eight or something. Um, they had a women in engineering day and presumably I don't really know the details cause I was 12, but like, um, I was, I guess, nominated to attend this thing, um, for the day. And, uh, another childhood friend of mine who totally didn't even live close to me was also there. Um, and you know, so we went to this women in engineering day at, um, the university of Western Ontario, as it was then called. And, um, they were like, what is engineering? And they had like little skits and like engineering is problem solving. And, you know, engineering is a creative pursuit, uh, for those people who are strong in math and science. I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. It's sort of, you know, it, it seemed to, they, they did a really good job of making it appeal to me as somebody who was good at math and science, but also was interested in art and things. Cause I was like, I want to be creative problem solver, which is, you know, basically what my business card should say. But so I went to this women in engineering event and, um, it kind of put this idea in my head that like engineering was this thing that you could do. I had never even heard of it because I live in a small town. Like, you know, there's doctors and there's dentists. They're very respected teachers, but like, I don't think anybody was an engineer in my town. Like mm-hmm. where would they have worked? I, I don't even know. So, um, so I really think that this program actually put this idea in my head. Um, to the point that, um, you know, kind of sat there as this, this option. Um, and that is the only thing I can point to hmm. really. Yeah. This one day and at this one, you know, this one time and they did this, fun, they did fun activities with like in the chemistry lab, making slime and stuff. I mean, it, you know, it was a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't know how many other people who were there, um, how many other girls who were there were influenced the way I was, but yeah, they, they, they got through to me somehow. Cool. Yeah. And, um, and I, did you, did you ever feel, you know, any pressure not to do it from, from society? Like would would people like question that thought that you would want to go? No, I don't think so. Because the only people who would have, would have even asked were teachers and the teachers in my school were pretty, um, you know, they weren't, it wasn't some weird backward school or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, my English teacher thought that I should do English. My physics teacher thought that I should do physics. I was a good student. Basically. Right. I, I, I did well. I did really well um, in high school, that format. Mm-hmm. is was really um that this the the style of teaching that they teach at high school like i'm really you know respond well to so like mm-hmm. no nobody was like really there was this one time that pissed me off <laughs> which is in canada there are there's these two different programs there's summer programs they're meant to be fun and um they're science camp they're like basically the science camp And you pay for science camp by working as, uh, I don't know, like an intern at a local business and they pay you a little bit of money and you raise this money and then you go to science camp. 
essentially. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called Shad Valley, and the other one I forget the name of. But um, in order to go to the youth science camp, your someone has to nominate you, uh, kind of like this, you know, Women in Engineering Day. Someone has to nominate you, and I had a chemistry lab partner, and we had, and I had the same lab partner all through high school, basically. And he wasn't super popular. And I chose him as a lab partner because he just did whatever I told him, basically. (laughs) I was like, hey, can you get these things and get this piece of equipment? And he didn't want to do the experiments. Like he wasn't, I don't know if he was like intimidated by fire or chemicals or something, but he wouldn't do any of the experiments, but he would write everything down. Hmm. So I would do the experiment and he would write everything down and he'd run around and he was basically my lab assistant. We were supposed to be, you know, mm-hmm. partners in this endeavor, but he was my lab assistant. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and he got nominated to go to this science camp <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? He's my, he's my lackey. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, when I think about it, Maybe it's because like he wasn't really well, he wasn't that popular. He was also quite geeky. And so like, maybe this was a, some kind of, maybe, maybe aptitude isn't all they look for, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, in a, in a candidate. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I remember being like, how did he get picked? Mm -hmm. And I didn't get picked. I found that weird. But like, again, like I said, maybe, maybe there's other criteria that they look for. Maybe like because was, he, he wrote everything down. He, this is what I'm saying. Like because <laughs> because he was the one taking all the notes, yeah. it kind of looked like he was doing all the work, but yeah. really I just told him what to say. This is this is the fear I have. The fear I have is that somehow people got in their head that he knew what they were doing. But the same teacher, um, the same exact teacher who nominated this kid and didn't nominate me, um, once left instructions with a substitute teacher that he was in the middle of a lesson and that um, if that teacher needed any help to ask me. Hmm. So it's not that he didn't think I was competent. So, which is, I kind of wonder, like Hmm. I was also involved in like the band and I was involved in drama. So maybe they were like, okay, she's got some extracurricular stuff going on. Mm -hmm. This other person doesn't seem to, we're going to. You need uh, some help. Maybe, 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 (laughs) maybe. That's what I tell myself anyway. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So, no, I, so I wasn't discouraged mm-hmm. um, at all. Um, it didn't even occur to me to be discouraged, I think, mm-hmm. which is why when I got to university, I was like, what's sexism? Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, but you, there must have been mostly, mostly men or boys uh, in yeah, the classes, I mean, right? Yeah. So, um, Um, so at U of T, and I don't know how true this is now or at other schools, but, um, so there's multiple disciplines, right? You can do electrical engineering, computer engineering, chemical engineering, and so on. And, um, chemical engineering was 50% women. Chemical engineering, um, like as a department, there were less, you know, the percentage of women was not that high. Mm -hmm. But chemical engineering was 50%. Um, and there were theories about why this was the case. Um, one of them is that um, chemical engineering was sort of seen as a, as a path to medicine. Okay. 
Um, like people would do chemical engineering and then do medicine, which by the way is like the hardest way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to do medicine, maybe, maybe don't do a professional degree first, but then, um, cause in, cause in, um, Ontario, in Canada, engineering degrees are a professional degree, not a major, which in the U S they're a major, which is to say you do a lot more math and physics in Canada mm-hmm. and you do like a little bit of not math and physics. Um, the other theory for why there were more women in chemistry was because it's, um, there's a path to environmental engineering. Mm. So there were all these theories about like, what could possibly appeal to women about chemical engineering? It must be, it must be the, you know, helping people aspect, or it must be the helping environment aspect. Like there were all these theories. Mm -hmm. I don't really know the appeal. I just know that that was how it was. Um, to the point where people called it femeng instead of chemeng. <laughs> Very funny, yeah. So, and then, and then the, um, there was also industrial engineering, which, um, which is um, more process engineering. Um, and it had, it had a lot more women in it than average as well, hmm. which meant that mechanical engineering and chemical en- and electrical engineering, computer engineering definitely had less. Mm-hmm. Um, and the program I was in, I think, so I, so I was in this bigger program and then I specialized. And once I specialized into electrical engineering, I think there were, I want to say like 25 people in the class and there was me and one other woman. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there might've been two other women. Um, Interesting. So I, I've been... Um... Well, um, one of one of the guys that that um, often comes to to one of the JavaScript uh, meetups in Karlsruhe, he told me that when he was studying in Karlsruhe, there was also um, they have a big Karlsruhe. There's a big you know technical university, and mm-hmm. he was um, studying computer science, and he said that there was a weird like a of course there were more men, right? Like it's like how it is, just normal. Um, nowadays still um mm-hmm. but there was also a, like a weird rift between women and and men um mm. so they would never talk to each other for instance like it was he described it was a lot of tension you know for mm. some reason i don't i don't really i don't know why but it somehow developed to it that way and and it and just was like that the whole and it, the whole uh uh you know all this all the way through basically and uh yeah that was really weird is that something that that you experienced as well yeah that i did not experience that um i i certainly didn't experience that um like i said though it would be really interesting for me to be able to go back and just watch how things were Mm-hmm. No, with my eyes opened as they are now. Right. It was interesting for me to go back and just see how people treat each other and what kind of things they say. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have that impression at all mm. um, when I was there. But um, maybe there was, and I just didn't notice. But I don't think there was. I don't remember anything like that. Yeah. yeah. At uh, JSConf, you, uh, what I saw um, last year when I was there was that. Um, you guys did a really good job, you know, with um, having female speakers, which you, which which you don't see at a lot of technical conferences, mm-hmm. and also a lot of female attendees, which yeah. I found, which which I actually found more surprising 
because because I know that you're actually doing like very um, active. You know, you're trying to get female speakers. You do a lot for them to attract them. Like you you talk to to um, specific people to to get them to talk and stuff like that. As far as far as I know, we we get we we talk to people to get them to submit a proposal. That yeah, exactly to yeah. submit proposals. Yeah, and. Um, Yeah, so I was wondering, what did you do to get female attendees to that um, extent? So it's interesting that you say that because we didn't feel like we'd met our goals for like our own personal goals for how getting female attendees. Yeah, um, to get women to attend, and um, so it's interesting that you mentioned that you did notice them because so I did also have the feeling like you know if you're in a group there was always at least one other woman, which is to say I wasn't the only one. Uh, in, in like group if I was talking to people, but, mm. um, so we, we tried the, the long game is if we get people on stage, if we get women on stage and people and women notice the other women on stage, they'll be like, Oh, this is a conference that welcomes me and I will attend it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what we are trying to do. And now this is the second or again, I lost track of how many years, but <laughs> We, we've been, um, you know, a little bit consistent in this regard, regarding having, you know, a nice representation of, of women, a, a, I would say disproportionate representation of women on stage, which is to say, given the proportion of women in the audience or given the proportion of women in the industry, we have quite a lot of women on stage. Mm -hmm. um, it's still not 50-50, but it is uh, more percentage than is represented in the larger kind of group of people. Um, and the hope is that just seeing those faces on the speakers um, page and knowing that there are women going to be speaking, that that's just going to make us more appealing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we've been doing to try and get more women to attend. Mm -hmm. um, we also um, last year had a very small Uh, kind of scholarship type program where um, people could buy a, a, a ticket that would pay for someone else to come. Mm -hmm. And then we had an application process where you would apply for one of these so-called diversity tickets. And then anyone who met the criteria of, you know, someone we deemed would be a good candidate for getting one of these tickets. Uh, we put them in a hat and drew names. So, you know, there was a small pool of tickets and a small pool of people applying. And, and so there were like, I want to say two people who came from that, which is obviously not yeah. a very many. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to do a bit more of that, but we, we haven't, we don't have any other plans of attack right now. We're just trying to, make ourselves known as a conference that has, you know, mm -hmm. other women there. If you want to go and talk to them or uh, feel a little bit more um, less conspicuous, um, we'll, we're one of those places that has that. So that's, yeah, that's, that's very plan. cool. And I mean, <clears throat> you might have had, you know, a bigger goal for the attendees, but um I mean, for me, it's like I'm comparing it to to other uh, tech-focused conferences, and 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 definitely was a big difference, you know, to oh. to the cloud in my eyes. Yeah. And, and I also, you know, organizing those user groups, 
um we we have women coming mostly mm -hmm. but when especially especially in the in the Costco one like we sometimes have 70 80 people there or once we even had a hundred but you know on a hundred people there's maybe one or two women yeah and, and that's kind of what I'm used to at the also at conferences yeah um, I think yeah that's what I'm kind of used to as well um and we haven't really figured out locally how to get more people to come to Berlin JS. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't really tried to think about that too much, but we also have thought about, you know, who else are we excluding? Like, is your, is your meetup in English? Uh, what, we're doing one in Frankfurt, which is in English because we mm -hmm. expect to be more Frankfurt to be more international, but mm -hmm. uh, in Karlsruhe, we're doing it in German still, but I'm also thinking of switching because every now well, and then there's somebody. Because what we were, because what we were thinking is like, yeah, we we're English because we're trying to be inclusive, mm -hmm. but we're also excluding like people who are maybe a little bit older who don't speak English comfortably. Mm. Like we think of like, oh, it's international and everybody speaks English, but like that's not true of people who are older. Yeah. Um, that's not true of people who, um, you know, aren't already friends with some English speakers. Like there, there are people we're excluding. Like. Mm. Um, you know, Berlin, for instance, also has, you know, a very large Turkish community, but like, I don't, I don't see them at the meetup either. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of different, um, groups to, to try and get involved. Um, and how do you reach out to them if they're not already in your circle? And like, you know, if they're not on Twitter. How do you reach them? Like, do I put up flyers? Like, what do I need to do? So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I, I, I guess you can't, you can't, you can't include everybody. There's always going to be somebody who's going to be excluded. Yeah, but I, I guess, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I certainly don't know how to get more women to come to a meetup if that's what you're hoping, because yeah. I have been able to do it. No, I also don't know. And also at meetups, you also you, the the amount of time that the organizers can put into organizing it and reaching out to people and stuff yeah. is, is very much limited than yeah. you know on a yearly conference. So yeah. I don't like it is what it yeah. is. I'm not I'm not trying mm -hmm. I'm not trying to start an initiative or anything. It's just I'm just but uh, it's uh what what was cool though in in Frankfurt we we had we twice now had uh, rep representatives that came that just came to. Um, to the user group that that are part of like you know one thing that is called the techettes so it's like tech <laughs> and ads yeah um never but, heard of that one yeah a, we have gir, geek, geek girl girl geek carrots sorry girl uh, geek carrots okay i yeah. don't know really where the carrots comes from but yeah techettes yeah. okay techettes yeah and, and they were and she was and she was basically and it's 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 also a place where just where women are encouraged to come and to learn about different technologies and all kinds of stuff, not only programming, but also, you know, design and all this kind of stuff. Right. And what was funny was that you, when you, you are also allowed to come if you're a man, but you have to bring two women. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was very funny. And yeah, yeah, so we have, there's, there's stuff like that happening, which I, I find really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it just happens like that. So that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to look into that. There's geekettes here. Yeah, that's and I the geekettes is a, geekettes is somewhat different in that they're they're you know women in in the whole industry, but they're also very entrepreneurial focused. Like mm -hmm. they have a lot of women who are interested in being kind of tech entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to you know programmers or something. 
Yeah, cool. And I think we had Rails Girls uh, there once. Yeah, we have a branch of that here as well. Yeah. 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 Great. Okay, so I think we can conclude the interview part and move to the picks. All right. (laughs) So um, uh, you're prepared? Yes, I'm prepared. I'm very prepared. Very good. So please, please tell me your first pick. My first pick, and if I understand correctly, this can be anything I want. Yes, of course, yes. Anytime. Anytime. So my first pick is a gin, and that gin is called Floraison. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's French. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from this company that I think is pronounced Gvine. I'm not really sure. G apostrophe V-I-N-E. It's some kind of pun on vine and gin. Oh. Because, yeah, because, uh, yeah, not a very good pun. But, um, no. <laughs> yeah, so it's called Floraison. And um, this particular gin is, the spirit is um, uh, flavored with grape blossom. Mm. And the spirit itself also, like, I think normally most gins are based on a vodka, but this one is actually based on a, on a grape spirit. And um, the whole thing just has this sort of lightly fruity taste, which, I mean, not everybody wants fruity gin. They maybe want something else. But this particular one is very good in the summer with fruit. It's like smells really good. You can put mint in it. It's like, yeah, quite, quite when, when people think of gin, they think of like very bitter and very like, ugh. this gin is like, yeah, it's like drinking it is like it's drinking springtime. Anyway, it's called Floraison. It's French. Oh. Costs about costs about thirty euros a bottle. Not cheap. Wow. Maybe maybe it's a bit cheaper. Twenty five oh. euros a bottle. But yeah, good cool. stuff. So and you? you? So are you are you like a, a gin connoisseur? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay. I have. Um, at, I was um, rearranging my kitchen the other day, and I realized I had, I think eight kinds of gin and that I consider to be missing some essentials. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, yeah, I oh. quite like gin. It's, you know um, your gin then. I do know my gin. Yeah. That's cool. I don't know anything about gin. I must confess. Yeah. I actually have run, uh, two years, but not recently, um, something called gin JS, which is kind of a pre pre JS conf event. Okay. Where there's like, you know, 10 kinds of gin and a bartender that knows what they're doing and you try the different gins and mm. it's been popular, but, um, yeah. What do you mix it with normally? And do you mix it at all? I, I, um, I like gin tonic. Um, right. and I would do with gin tonic, but like, uh. there's also a whole bunch of, um, gin cocktails that involved, um, I mean, if you if you can't decide what to if you just like I just want to mix it with something and be done, mm-hmm. um, tonic is really the way to go. It's it's sweeter than you might think, mm-hmm. and um, if you really don't know what you're doing, put lime in it. If you have some idea of what you're doing, then you might switch up the garnish. So like, mm-hmm. if you're having Hendrix, you put cucumber in there because it's flavored with cucumber. Um, if you're using like a more fruity gin, then you might want to put in like some like 
blackberries or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this Froison gin, for instance, strawberries and mint is really good. Um, so, but if you really have no idea, you want lime and really, and this, I mean that this is very serious now. Mm-hmm. You have to fill the glass with ice. Okay. It has to be slightly more ice than fits in the glass. Okay. And then you pour the gin on top of the ice. And th- so it cools. And then you top it with tonic. That's it. You, you're not permitted to... Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen them. They, like, they get, like, tongs out. And they put, like, clink, clink. And they put, like, two p- ice cubes. Like, forget about it. No. Yeah, that, but that's how it normally like. That's what you get handed normally. Like it's yeah. And also, I I must say I'm not a fan at all of tonic. First of all, I don't like the yeah. tonic water, and I also don't like the gin tonic because of that. So I yeah. I have never been. I never got into that. I just yeah. I think. So when we went to um when we had this uh, event, one of the ones with the Gavine was um, the bartender mixed it with. Um, Feta Weisse. The idea was that that was like the fall grape and this is the spring grape and then you combine them. Hmm. And uh, it's like a little bit fizzy, but not really fizzy. It's mm-hmm. like quite sweet. And then you shake that on ice. So you mm-hmm. dilute it a little bit and mm-hmm. then strain it. And she served it with a thyme sprig. And it was delicious. Hmm. So that you sounds to, good. But then you have to, you have to wait till like next fall. <laughs> yeah. That. Unless you've been unless you've been hoarding some fate ice, I don't think it lasts no. that long. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm more like uh, if I drink, you know, drinks like that, then I would I would always order something along the lines of something with bourbon or. Yeah, I mean, you can also do a gin old fashioned, mm-hmm. an gin cocktail, which along is on. So, like an old fashioned, just as a generic category, is spirit something sweet maybe just straight up sugar cube or maybe liqueur and then bitters so there's like a whole range of combinations you can do then Mm -hmm. you could do like any gin any complimentary liqueur bitters and a citrus Mm. peel and that's a good combo Mm. yeah do you know any good like cocktail bars in uh, in berlin i absolutely do um there's redwood where I may go later, actually. There's uh, <laughs> cool. just because there's an event happening. There's some people there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Antlered Bunny. There's um, Beckett's Kopf, which I've never been to, so I feel like I can't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this relatively new one called Brick, or maybe it's Brook, B R Y K. It's quite cool. It's open every day from seven. Mm-hmm. It's like very chill. They have wingback chairs. It's a nice one. Cool. Drinks are very avant-garde. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're not going to get anything you've ever heard of. Okay. There. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Great. You, uh, I need all those names later yeah. on for the show notes. Um, okay. So I'm going to move to my pick. My pick is, the first pick is actually um, something called JSCS, which is short for JavaScript code style. Okay. And um, it's it's actually I think it popped up like for me at least it popped up last year at some point um, maybe in the beginning of last year or so 
And basically, it is a project that helps you to enforce a JavaScript style guide, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's, it works like, basically, it works like JS Hint or, you know, JS Lint when you, when you, um, do you use a Grunt or Gulp or something like that in your build process? I don't, but don't. Okay. Um, we do, um, there are, yeah, I have before. Yeah, well, you can also just use it in your, uh, in your um, editor, mostly. Like if right. you use, if you use like, Sublime, Web, text, yeah. Sublime, WebStorm, all of them, they have plugins for that stuff. So yeah. they just give you instant feedback on save or, or constantly if you want. And it just work, works the same way. You have, you have like a configuration file that you put in the root of your project. And then you have a bunch of rules that you can set. And what's, and I just, I just really, um, it's not a, it's not anything new. I think many people really know about this already, so but yeah. What, what makes it better than like JS Hint? Oh, um, it's not, it's not better because it, it's <laughs> complementary. Okay. It's because, different... because it's actually, you actually enforce um, a real style guide, which what I mean by that is if you, if you, for instance, if you Google um, the Airbnb JavaScript style guide, you have a very specific style guide, um, how to write your JavaScript. So it, when, okay. do you, when do you leave a white space after, you know, uh, yep. bef before the first curly brace, for instance, right? Or do you okay. do you do that at all? And okay. how do you how do you organize your var variable declarations? Do you do um, just var statements statements underneath each other, or do you allow this kind of comma separation and just do one var statement? Okay. Um, you know, like all this like very specific. Like, just to keep the code it would be interesting to set clean. that up and just see how much where the inconsistencies are that sounds like something i might enjoy yeah i i mean i really love it because if you work i mean for you it's just for you but uh, if yeah. you work, work uh, if you work in a team it's it's just uh, it's gold you know yeah. because you need a style guide and you yeah. need and then what you can do too is like you can really enforce it because you can use like a grunt task or or just an uh you know you use npm uh, just a little script that that checks before you even check in the code into your repository it in repository it just checks you know our does the does the code adhere want. to the style guide and if yeah. not you can't check it in you have to yeah. fix it you know? i was making a change to the to the web product the other day and uh i was using get x and I was like, why is this commit not committing? Mm -hmm. And it was telling me that I the, the, the pre-hook was failing, but I was like, what? Is my net connection down? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I I actually had um I I can't remember now what it was, but there was some like I didn't adhere to the style guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, oh, that's great save myself some embarrassment there <laughs> yeah and it's just it's just something basic that you just need to enforce it you know with an auto, with something automatic like in the build script and stuff like that because nobody no there shouldn't be any people you know reviewing your code and then and then sending your code back saying well you know you should yeah. you should really leave like a white space here you know you can you can you can accept that kind of criticism from a robot yeah but when a person does that, you're like, you're just God, annoyed. that asshole is always on the white space. Yeah, exactly. Don't they have anything better to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You can hand you can handle it when it's when it's just like, oh, it doesn't follow the rule. Like, oh, whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so it's really it's really great. There's no JSCS. Yeah, you can actually find it under jscs.info. And and what I what I really like too is that um, this this node module, the JSCS node module, it comes with a bunch of presets. So mm. you can you can you know can have a look at the Airbnb style guide or the Google style guide or jQuery style guide, and just you know choose the one that you that you like the most. And if you if you like one really well in in your JS um, JSCSRC file, like your configuration file that you put into the the root of your project, you can just say preset. Airbnb and that's it and then mm-hmm. and it just has that preset now if you want if you're not happy with with some of the rules that are set in the preset you can just go ahead and then overwrite them in that in your local right you know configuration file is there a is there a community of people sharing their jscs configs and like uh that i don't know no i don't think so <laughs> I think they just, I mean, because they're baked in into that node module, so they they just they just took those style guides and made and made the presets for them, and uh, I don't know if if there's anybody you know sharing more with them or something like that. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I think, but it's it's a really a good set of presets. Like you can really. Um, and and especially, I really like the Airbnb one because it's very it's a very common style of JavaScript. You right. know, like you, you don't really have to relearn or learn something new or really get used to something weird in in that uh, thing. And um, so so that's why that's kind of like my go to preset for right. for that. Yeah, really, it's like a standard one. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I like you said because I um, I work on this project on my own. I haven't yeah. really had to worry about it, but I also worry about you know my legacy which is if if people do come and contribute they're like why is it this way here and not that way there or yeah. my big fear my big fear is that they'll go and copy code where i'm like no 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 that's bad and i didn't mean to leave it mm-hmm. like you don't want to you don't want to set a precedent <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah. actually but i think there is um there is this i picked that uh, on a different episode it's called jsfmt like js format and mm-hmm. i think that js format it's it's also a command line uh, a module like a module node module that you can use on the command line that formats your javascript to whatever you want it to be right so, yeah so if you if you want to now introduce that i think you can also use those jscs configuration files to then use jsfmt to format all your javascript according to that style guide Right. But I'm not 100 percent sure if it really works that way. But that would be definitely would be cool if it's not if it doesn't exist yet. It needs to exist. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think it's exactly if you you know if you're worried about your legacy or if you maybe your team grows maybe you know someday. Yeah, it, it definitely yeah. makes sense. Well, I mean, yeah. Right now we uh, we're not growing, but well, I like I said, I don't want to leave a bad leave yeah. a bad legacy. No. Totally understandable. Okay, on to your second pick. So my second pick. Um, my second pick. Suddenly I'm self-conscious about my second pick. My second pick is Folka brand tights and socks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is, what, is, what, is the, what is the brand? Folka. Fol- you know this brand? No. Like Falcon, like the German word for Falcon. Okay. Folka, F-A-L-K-E. You really don't know it? Ah, F A Ah Falke. Okay. Falke. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know them. Do you know these okay. socks? I've never owned any of them, but yeah. Well, if you did, you would know that they're actually shaped to feet to fit your feet. Like they're not. There's. They're not. You know, like shoes. You have to put the left shoe on the left foot and the right shoe on the right foot. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how their socks are. Okay. And there's a little little indicator to tell you which is the right one, which is the left one on your toe. Okay. Yeah. And the tights, which I really like, um, come in like different thicknesses. There's like really thin ones for summertime and very thick ones for wintertime. And uh, they come in interesting colors. And, and I assume they're really good quality? Yeah, they're very good quality. Yeah, I mean that's 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 really important to me because I I know like for for me especially uh you know with socks like I've bought so many socks that were like oh you can get ten socks for like no five euros or whatever and no. then but then those socks they don't like when you sweat in them they don't breathe and then no. you like your feet get wet and stuff like I hate that and like, also it can in North America they just don't they don't know socks they just don't do socks well yeah yeah okay. But Europe does socks well, and I don't know if you appreciate that. Yeah, I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they are expensive. Like a pair of of tights is, you know, can be as much as a bottle of gin. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it, but, but at least you don't have to throw them away after a year, right? Oh, well, I mean, think like after a year, after a year, you're gonna have some some toes, you know holes and stuff but i mean considering that i wear them with the same frequency that someone might wear you know trousers or something then yeah certainly i get a lot of use out of them okay yeah cool okay good um so, this is so, your second pick then so my second pick is exploding kittens i mean i've heard of this i don't know much about it it's yes. the new it's the new oatmeal Yes, exactly. I mean, everybody. I'm sure everybody. This is not news. Everybody have, has heard of this. This is now also the 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 actually uh, the, the Kickstarter project with the most backers ever. Yeah, like didn't they even break Kickstarter, or is that a rumor? No, Kickstarter is fine as as far as <laughs> I know. But uh, but uh, they have they like they have a hundred over a hundred thousand uh, um, backers, which is which is. You know, Whoa. nobody had ever had more, and they're now at after a week they're at four point two million, and they actually pledged ten thousand in the beginning, which is really That's crazy. <laughs> it's really funny. What? Like he he got a million after seven hours. It's yeah, insane. It's insane. And uh, so what it is? It's 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 a card game. It's a card game, yeah. Yeah. So. Incidentally, I, I know if, uh, through a friend that card games on Kickstarter is like a little secret. Like they do really well all the time or very often. Like really? there's, there's this guy who, who basically has ma made a business out of just creating like custom card games and doing Kickstarter projects um, for them. And yeah. he, I think he pledges like, okay, we need like 5,000 or so. And he always gets more than what he pledges. Right. And really? so 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 he gets a designer. So my friend, he is an illustrator and designer, and he was putting his work on like, what's it like uh, Behance and putting mm -hmm. it on some other, you know, like sites where you can put designs for T-shirts and then people vote on it. And if they like it, then it gets printed or whatever. Right. And so he was this guy was like scouring those sites and he phoned him and he said, hey, don't you do you want to do you want to do this little project with me? Like design the cards and then we do a limited you know set and we pledge this and i always make i always make more than enough money and we make a nice little profit so he did that and he and he uh he designed some cards he's a good illustrator and they look like you know like he has this creepy skulls and stuff like that and it's all like super <laughs> detailed kind of, 
it kind of makes sense if because like you know it's a pretty lightweight game really mm-hmm. like uh, in terms of does i guess i'm wondering how much how good they are but i mean what do you mean i like you know some people are quite snobby about their their quality of gameplay no they do they do really um like it's just normal playing cards uh, but, oh with yeah. like quite cool designs yeah exactly ah, it's just custom see. playing cards that's all like for poker players and stuff oh i see so yeah. just like they're so like, of course they're, they're high quality you know like they're oh, really well cool. made and nicely illustrated see what cool yeah so that's so that's just generally card games apparently do really well because i think also what people know that that card games are easily uh, easily produced so if they you know if this thing gets backed um then it's gonna happen it's yeah. gonna happen everybody's gonna get their cards and everybody's gonna be happy because that's always a, this thing with <laughs> kickstarter that with some of the projects you know super like uh, uh uh ambitious right that was the word ambitious projects that then take forever to make yeah. and it doesn't like- happen and 18 months later you get your thing <clears throat> exactly so that was also one of the reasonings of of the that oatmeal card game where they said hey we wanted to do this game and we and and basically fulfillment was one of our biggest concerns and so first of all of course <clears throat> the game is a, like a funny game so of course illustrated by the oatmeal and and it's very easy so basically you have this deck of cards and then you have like up to with one deck you can play with up to from between two and four people and then everybody you know just it goes in a circle and you pull you pull a card you draw a card and then um then there's something on that card and if you pull the card with the exploding kitten then you're dead and you lose the game, right? And okay. You start over. So basically, it's like a game of roulette, right? So yeah. you can explode. Is that the, is that the whole gameplay? Well, no, yeah. that's not the whole gameplay. That is just how you die, right? Oh yeah. But there's okay. like all those different cards that you can that you can draw that give you like superpowers. I either you can defuse the cat, or you can look into the future with me with me, which means you can look at you know the next three cards, upcoming cards are coming up. Okay. And you can like you can reshuffle the game, and um, like there's all those kind of different. Op- or you can sk- yeah. you, you can skip, and they're all like super funny illustrations and just yeah. ridiculous, right? And so so there is this thing of luck it's luck mixed with uh, strategy now you know because yeah. now you have to think about yeah. how how you have the superpower how do you use it and i don't know 100% exactly how it works but this when when you read through the the goals that's basically what it says and <laughs> and 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 it's it has a lot of credibility because the two guys that invented the game with him like he just joined to do the illustrations basically and the two guys that made the game they have like a lot of game making credibility i think this one guy is like from i don't remember was the one guy from marvel or something like that and the other guy and but they already developed games and they and they spend a lot of time you know experimenting development yeah doing this you know just playing around with cards and this these different options to make this game interesting and to make it fun <clears throat> all gameplay so that is the story behind the game and then you know he already uh, when you go to the kickstarter project you can see some of the cards that he already designed and 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 th- he explains the rules like how, how oatmeal does that and stuff you know right just, and it's just... a big comic and and it's and his writing is as always is really funny it's really great um it's very oatmeal-y. And, 
Yeah, and it's just and it's it was just amazing. I just on Facebook I just saw I'm following uh, the oatmeal on Facebook and I just saw this illustration of his just like one million seven hours exploding kittens blah blah and I was like what the what is How this? How did this happen? Yeah. yeah, and I just reshared it and then and then after I don't know like after the after days they had after a day they had like was it like two million? Yeah, it's and, just crazy. I mean, the the kind of pull that the oatmeal has is just so crazy. Like it's it's it, it yeah. doesn't compare to a lot on the internet. I must yeah, say. he's quite he's quite a celebrity. Speaking of like people with lots of pull, there's maybe you know there's this whole. Um, have you heard of this? I want to say Chinese website. I don't know that it's actually Chinese. I feel bad now. Um, it was a no, maybe it's Korean. Originally, you could, um, the idea was you would do live streaming of your, like, video game that you're playing. People could, like, watch you play a video game. Like Twitch TV? Yeah, I'd, yeah, but it's the specific Korean one. Uh-huh. And um, what has evolved is a whole uh, network of people who are famous on this platform, and they just sing karaoke. What? Like, in their bedroom? Yeah. And then um, they, they're trying to figure out how to monetize this whole thing. And the way they monetize it is individuals. So the, so the whole thing is individuals can type to you while you're streaming. And then you can read it and answer back. Okay. And what they've done is you can, you can text the people gifts, like little – like emojis basically okay mm-hmm. and it costs you know fractions of a cent to send one of these emojis mm-hmm. and some of them are much more expensive than others and so on and there's this whole community of people who are famous just on this platform singing karaoke for pennies but now they make a living at it it's very That's bizarre. Insane. There's all these weird economies there out yeah. there. That, oh, that, that like, reminds me of of Vine. You know Vine, the yeah, tw- the Twitter uh, product. Yes. Well, it's not their product. They just bought it. But yeah, there's also <laughs> this this community. Uh, well, I don't know community, but it's it's like an ecosystem. Subculture. And you have, subculture. Yeah, subculture, and you have like those super famous people on there that have like. Five million followers. Yeah, and online. you're only famous on that one platform. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, they kind of they they translate it over to YouTube and Instagram as well because yeah. they always tell them their Vine followers to them. No, you know, I'm gonna hang out on Instagram, blah blah. But of course, they don't have as much as on, on Vine. But yeah. But yeah, they you know make a shitload of money because then they sell, they do ads, you know, like l- little vines where they integrate the product. Really? And stuff. Oh yeah, they make like. Uh, a vine is literally seven seconds, right? Yeah. Some Maybe of them make some, vines. not only product placement is very clear that it is an ad, but it's in the style of that person's vines, right? So uh-huh. if that person would do like funny sketches, blah blah, now it's a sketch with uh, Skittles, you know, it just and it works and they work it in somehow, but it still is this has the same humor, it still has the same style. Yeah. So um, and it's not it's not it's very clear that it is. Um, that it is an advertisement, but it, it has the same, what is the genius of that is that it has the same, exactly the same value in entertainment. 
Yeah. Because it's exactly the same style and it's, it's the same person coming up with the sketch and it's all very rough and it's just like, here's my right. seven seconds. Of course, those people, you know, they plan them out and blah, blah, blah. They sure. invest they're, they're time very, and stuff like that. They're definitely talented. At yeah, but they make, they make like tens of thousands of dollars per vine that they do for, that they do for a company. That's pretty cool. That's insane. Yeah. This yeah. is, this is all part of the, let's democratize the audience, like, like the mm -hmm. access to the audience. I, I read mm -hmm. this very interesting article that was talking about these YouTube stars and how, you know, in the past, the man and the man and the, and the, the corporation would pick who was going to be famous. Mm -hmm. It would pick who was going to get a show and who was going to get a record deal and, you know, who was going to be on that TV show that night and so on. Mm -hmm. But now um, there are no adults in the room, literally and figuratively. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the teenage culture is completely created by and controlled by the 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 audience mm -hmm. and nobody's telling them what to watch or what's good or when it's on yeah and i think that really fascinating very yeah it's amazing you dis discover all those different subcultures and sub communities that are yes. doing just really like making a living um, out of what they're doing and it's just about this one niche subject or whatever it's it's yeah. fascinating yeah, yeah i find it really fascinating too um because i hadn't really thought about it before that yeah. yeah crazy third pick third pick third pick is a book that i listened to as an audiobook a few years ago and it's constantly comes up and i constantly think about it and it's the book predictably irrational by Dan, I think it's pronounced Airely. And if it sounds at all familiar, it's because there was a TED talk going around. No, it's not. Do you know this person? No. Predictably irrational. So this is uh, the author is a well, pioneer in the area of behavioral economics and um, has all this research about. Um, so, you know, economic theory says that humans are rational and because they're rational, you can expect them to do a bunch of typical things. Um, and, uh, studies show, um, and his studies specifically, he's compiled some of his own and others, um, indicate that human beings are not rational, but they're actually not rational in like a measurable way. Like, hence the title, predictably irrational. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, and that if you understand that humans are irrational in, in known ways, you can exploit that or somehow be conscious of it and try and circumvent it. So one of the sort of famous examples that you've probably heard of is um, like a daycare had a problem with parents coming up late to pick up their kids. And they wanted to solve this problem of um, people coming up late to pick up their kids. So they thought, what we'll do is we'll add a penalty, like a punishment, right? Mm -hmm. 
And the punishment they came up with was it cost money. So, you know, parents were, I don't know the exact number, let's say constantly, you know, five minutes late on average. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they started charging money, people were consistently later. Because the introduction of money as a penalty meant that people were like, oh, well, I can afford to just pay for yeah exactly I just, what I, I was just, thinking yeah they can just they can just pay which is which is so obvious and yet ec- traditional economic theory would be like no it costs money people aren't going to do it right like traditional econom- yeah. economic theory doesn't account for the fact that human beings understand money differently than a social expectation and also pe- Different people understand, don't necessarily, or different people understand the, the so, to, so to, you know, the, so to speak, penalty actually um, as a penalty. Like, the, yeah. that didn't, the sentence didn't make any sense. Some people would see it as a penalty. Some people wouldn't because they have lots of money. They have lots of money. And they just see it like, oh, okay. But what you do by doing that, you're removing the guilt. Yeah. Right? So then here's the really interesting follow-up. The really interesting follow-up is they're like, oh, crap, this totally backfired. Mm-hmm. We're going to get rid of the penalty. People did not start to come pick up their kids earlier. Mm-hmm. They stayed picking up their kids as late as they were okay. when there was a penalty mm-hmm. because the penalty changed their perception of what was considered a social obligation in the past. Mm-hmm. In the past, it was a social obligation to be there on time, but suddenly exactly. it became a free benefit that you could take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is just one example in the book um, of the kinds of things that if you, if you didn't think of them ahead of time, you might, you know, trick yourself and, and, and get wrong but once you once it's explained to you it's really obvious or like mm-hmm. the one that came up in my mind recently was um there's this other idea that like his studies show that everybody cheats a little bit mm-hmm. if people human beings will take advantage of a little bit of cheating if they can get away with it mm-hmm. if they can get away with cheating people cheat mm-hmm. however there are different things that influence how much they're going to cheat And one of the tests that he conducted was a room full of university students and the exact details, you have to read the book, but um, room full of university students and you were, you were basically throughout the way the thing was conducted, kind of given the opportunity to cheat a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way the uh, experiment was conducted, there was a, person wearing a sweatshirt of a neighboring university who you could only conclude based on their behavior was really cheating a lot Mm -hmm. and the reaction of everybody in the room was to cheat on average less than in a control group Mm -hmm. so when they saw that an an outsider was cheating they would actually cheat less Mm -hmm. the reverse is true if in the same situation they had an individual who was clearly cheating wearing the same university's sweatshirt, people would actually cheat more because Hmm. they would have seen that, oh, one of us cheats. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that this um, reminds me a lot of uh, an article that I was reading the other day about um, stereotypes and creativity. And the article, there was a study showing that um, uh, if you prime a group by getting them to talk about stereotypes ahead of time, when you then ask them to brainstorm, they're much more loose and creative and free associating than if they um, had not done the exercise of, of stereotyping at the beginning. Mm. And the conclusion was that like, um, by, by talking about stereotyping, you actually um, uh, somehow help people understand. They had some weird conclusion, but the... Um, I wish I could get the details of it right, but the, the the conclusion I came to from reading the same study was, oh, um, the exercise of talking about stereotypes set a standard for the group to adhere to, mm-hmm. and then any behavior outside of that would be considered inappropriate. So if, yeah. you know, this goes back to like, if as a company you have a policy about how you treat people or the way you speak about people um anything outside of that becomes inappropriate mm-hmm. um because people don't want to be seen as non-conforming which by the way is what you know gender society is all about too it's about you know we we teach children what what it is to be a girl and then human beings naturally have a tendency to be like I would like to conform to what the group has agreed a girl is. And so I'm going to be that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Anyway, predictably irrational has lots of great stuff in it, not just about uh, cheating and, uh, and uh, penalties on stuff. There's just, it's filled with really great research. Um, it just sort of opens your mind up about, you know, how people think about, um, morality money and relationships with reality and stuff like that so cool do recommend and if you want just the like light introductory version you can uh google the ted talk watch the ted talk yeah, yeah. okay cool sounds interesting definitely gonna link all that stuff up um yeah, so my third pick was the uh, or is the Twitter flight library. Like yeah. I, like I said before, mm-hmm. um, what I would like to add to what I was saying before is that this is the only library in my mind that kind of offers a solution for um, offers a solution to organize a JavaScript into components that are easily testable um, and, 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 um, and with mix-ins that are reusable and all that stuff that, that you can just use on normal, you know, pages like WordPress that, like sites a non, or yeah, like CMS. A non, yeah, like non, uh, non, what do you call it? Native web app or single yeah. page app, you, you know, like, because yeah. all the talk, like when you look at the JavaScript space, like it's all like now the, 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 all the computer scientists are kind of, yeah. that came into the JavaScript world and 
all people talk about are, are those higher concepts and are those frameworks right. that do a lot and really and and, and it's all about right. making apps and it's all about yeah and but right. the, but this is the, just about like a little component on like what is otherwise just a document exactly and this is an area though that is super important still like it's it's yeah. uh, it's barely addressed at all but it's but and we need we need a better solution for that than jQuery plugins because yeah. they're, they're terrible, right? Like it's just like a blob of stuff, and there's everything <laughs> in there, <laughs> yeah. and you can't test it, and it's just wah. And um, and you and yeah, no so ba- all the agency work, you know, like all those agencies, uh-huh. like web yes. agencies and web design companies and stuff, they still make tons and tons and tons of like e-commerce you know, websites or just content websites for companies like marketing, like landing pages, all this kind of stuff. Like there's tons of this work out there and there's tons of people working on that stuff. And nobody's really talking about a good JavaScript solution for these kind of sites. Right. And, and this is Flight. And yeah, and Flight.js to me um, really is, as far as I can see, is what is maybe the best solution for these kind of sites, you know, yeah. in order to organize. Like if you want to go a little bit, yeah, if you really want to give some, give it some structure and have yeah, and, and just this components kind of view on your UI, you know, like it's not, it's not a plugin that does everything, but you can compose your components and you can make it as big as or as small as you want. And they can talk to each other and there's, and they, they um, I think it it has been created by Angus. Um, what's his name? Angus Kroll. Yeah, Angus tweets. I don't know his exactly. real last name. His last name is Kroll. Yeah. And uh, hold on, let me see. I have his book here. Yeah, Angus Kroll. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and he also wrote some some cool articles about or at least one article about the mix-ins that how he uses them in flight and um, how. You know how mixins are really cool to to use as you know reusable bits for your JavaScript. Uh, so that would be basically what you did in your utility libraries. Mm-hmm. Would be in his in his you know way of doing things would be with mixins. Interesting. And uh, yeah, I really was. I, I really th- he's a he's a really interesting guy. I think like all his. I've watched like two talks that he gave, and um, in the process of reading his his book that he wrote. And uh, he's very, he has a very, in, some very interesting opinions in my mind about JavaScript. And, uh, and so I, I think Flight is definitely, definitely a really good option. There's also a lot of components on Bower, on an NPM that you can already just use, you know, mm-hmm. that are available, available to just install via Bower. And um, there's also a router. Uh, as far as I can, I could see that you can use a Flight.js router, so you can actually do both. You can also you, you can also do a little, you know, single page app with uh, with Flight, or or just a components or just a part of your site can be now you know a little little JavaScript app with routing okay. and stuff. Take a look. Yeah. Underappreciated. Yeah, very much so. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can also, it also comes with a little Yeoman generator where you, you can uh, generate a, like all the boilerplate for your component and the test, you know, the boilerplate for the test mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So you can, yeah, you can just go ahead and it takes away a little bit of work. Cool. Yeah. So, well, 
should be should be brought back definitely i think yeah I, it's funny like i said i did see a talk about this um but it was a it was a it was a rather impromptu talk to be mm -hmm. fair to the person who gave it yeah it was an impromptu talk oh, okay yeah. yeah yeah i haven't seen any talks about this uh just saw their announcement and never really looked at it but now um you know this colleague colleague of mine kind of said hey we should use this here in this project and it makes a lot of sense and the components blah 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 and so i started looking into it some more and uh it looks really it looks really good for this use case and i, I guess just twitter twitter is not going ahead and trying to push it a lot marketing wise mm. but uh, and that's fine i just uh yeah, yeah just think it's 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 worth a, another look okay yeah. I will take one. Cool. <laughs> um, definitely interested in what you what you think about it. So you just I'll have to you, see it. You should you should tweet about it. So I should tweet about it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, Seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the music pick is the next. Yeah. One. So um, I find picking music to be tricky. Um, but I did pick something and I picked a track. Why, why, hold on. Why is it tricky? It's tricky because I think, you know, a lot of music is really personal taste. Like, you know, people yes, can have, of course. people different have just different tastes. And for me, like, you know, what I like this minute is not necessarily what I would always recommend. And like, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, but that fine. doesn't, doesn't matter because your pick doesn't mean that this is the best track of the world for everybody. Yeah. But this is uh, something that you it's enjoy right yeah. now. So, um, so something I have been recently reminded of. So Sophie and Stevens is probably my all time favorite musician, which, you know, maybe sounds cliche, but like I liked Sophie before anybody knew who he was. So I think that's fair. <laughs> I don't even know who he is now. Yeah, he's this musician. Uh, he puts out an album every couple, every like four years or something. Hmm. Um, he was sort of known as a folk uh, musician, but he's put out some much more experimental stuff since then. But anyway, so uh, the the song that I picked, I picked the song, is called uh, "You Are the Blood," and it's pretty epic. I want to say I think it's like ten minutes long. Um, it was not on one of his albums. It was actually, yes, 10 minutes long. It was not on one of his albums. It was on um, a compilation that was put together. And this, um, apparently is a cover. I had no idea it was a cover. Wow. Okay, I'll have to go check out the original. Yeah, apparently it's a cover. And 
who did they cover? Um, it looks like the band is called Castanets, and Castanets are on the same record label. Okay. Sofiane. Uh -huh. um, I'm just finding this all out now. Um, <laughs> the um, the song. So, so from what I know of the record label, it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if he was somehow involved in this Castanets band, and I didn't know that before. But uh, yeah, "You Are the Blood" is um, for people who oh, boom, 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 didn't find it. For people who um, who like Sofiane, they might not have heard this track because it's completely um, not on one of his albums, and it also sort of came out at a time when people hadn't really heard from him. Um, and unless you'd heard of this compilation, you would have missed it. And if you were a Sofiane fan before, and um, he really changed styles between albums. If you if you weren't really paying attention, he seemed to change styles quite a bit. Um, and this one is really in the middle, and it's um, like time-wise, it's really in the middle, and it's completely different than the earlier stuff. And it's um, kind of slow, but it's also got all these like experimental sounds. And um, yeah, it's epic, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite interesting. I can imagine if you listen to it with noise-canceling headphones, it might bother your ears. It's got a like, it's got some uh, weirdo sounds in it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we you are the blood, which apparently is a cover huh. of a band called Castanets, which was a uh, psychedelic folk band, <laughs> which cool. would make sense based on the sound of the uh, you are the blood. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. I will actually buy it. I'll oh, buy yeah. it and I will work it into the podcast. Okay. Yeah, so people can listen to it while you're explaining what it is. Oh, it's intense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious yes. to hear it for sure. And what is your pick? My music pick is the track is called Rari Workout and is by Lethal Bizzle. <laughs> Featuring GME and Temper T. So okay. th this is um, it's a garage track. Uh, do you are you familiar with that genre of music? No, I'm not. Okay. <clears throat> what was so the name of the track? Uh, Rari. So basically, Rari. It's, it's like uh, Rari workout. Exactly. It is. It is short for Ferrari workout. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, so, so it's a garage. Garage is is has been around for a while. It's it's uh it has been created in the UK, and I'm quite I'm I'm kind of a sucker for good UK electronic kind of music. Like I was listening many years ago. I was I was a lot into jungle and drum and bass, and okay. and I listened to dub and I listened to UK hip hop and all this kind of stuff, and I still really like a lot of their their electronic music and also the rappers um uh, like their style and their accent and all that stuff uh, 
I quite enjoy uh, every now and then. Not all of it, but um, some of it. And this, this one was, uh, I kind of I stumbled on it uh, on Facebook or YouTube or something like that, where they were performing it live at uh, One Extra, which is a radio station um, in the UK, a BBC radio station where they have so-called urban music mostly. Okay. Uh, and uh, so it's it's like hip hop, dance hall, drum and bass, electronic music, and all this kind of stuff. And that was really cool. It's very high energy, and it is about working out. Literally, it's about pumping the weights. And why okay. are you doing it? Doing it for you know the girls, and doing it for going what I don't know, going out and blah blah blah. So okay. so um, but the thing is, it is a really 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 fun track i i really like this kind of high energy music i always was uh mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. like like this kind of stuff and uh and it actually was also in the uk single charts apparently on uh on the on the 11th spot for a while okay. so so it i actually, like high energy as well so yeah um, yeah, yeah cool not all the time sometimes i like very low energy but and I, yeah uh I, and i must say if you are working out, like I was actually yesterday, I was on this. I, we have like a tr- uh, what's it called? Like a treadmill, treadmill? kind of thingy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, it's a cross trainer actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but it's you like you're basically simulating walking, and then <laughs> you're basically simulating walking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you are walking, but uh, yeah, in, know, on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, just, it's, it's a funny. But it's. It's a different kind of different movements different on the yeah, cross you're like, trainer. You're like you're it's um I w- it seems like it's more like simulating I don't know maybe skiing skiing yeah, yeah maybe who yeah. knows anyway. whatever you're moving your body <laughs> yes I was I and I was I was going on this on this that thing for like thirty minutes and I was listening to podcasts and like thirty five minutes I'm like oh okay I think uh, you know I'm gonna get off I'm I'm done and then I was thinking hey maybe I should listen to this workout song maybe i get motivated to do it to do to go on for a little more and actually it really changed to totally changed my like the whole like the mindset like i was really like i was really tired wanted to get off and i listened to that song and it completely since it's also about working out and they're like go go pump pump you know like yeah you, you totally get pumped up and you i had no problem going for another 20 minutes like easily really? yeah when on, on loop yeah well, yeah. not not no. I listened to it like for, like two more times, and then listened to some other tracks, which which also worked. You know. Okay. Yeah. So so that really helps. Actually, <laughs> actually, I realized yesterday. Very cool. So that's so that's why it's my pick also because I really, I like the song and uh, and. Uh, you might see man driving Italian wit Blacked out windows, going to the gym Two two dumbbells, you're going in Doing it for Keisha, doing it for Kim Do it for the speedos, do it for the beach Do it for the stamina, do it for the sheets Do it for the bicep, do it for the chest Do it for the summertime, ready for the best Pump, 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 pump Up and down, spin that booty round and round Your dench instructor is in town I don't want to see no counting around I don't want to see no monking around I don't want to see no hand moving out of time That you don't know the sound Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? This is your dench instructor. It's time for the Robbie workout. Robbie workout. Robbie workout. Robbie workout. Left, do it right. Do it day, do it night. Don't wait for the gym. Do it on site, but make sure that you pop. Sure that you pump, pump. 
High energy. High. Motivational. Exactly. Okay. It works. I always thought it's bullshit, you know, and they like people that do like motivational videos and stuff like that. But the, the, but the thing is like, if you are in that space right at that moment and you see the video or you hear the song or whatever, it does inspire you to go on. Like, yeah. it helps. Like, like when you have like a partner or somebody or a trainer, when you, when you uh, do something together, some like sports activity and they push you more, ah, you can do another one. You can do it, you know? Yeah. This That's, is why I, this is why I like to do taek when I was doing Taekwondo was, You can't do that by yourself because you don't push yourself. Like I, I never sweat mm -hmm. or get out of breath as much as if I have someone like, mm -hmm. like demanding that I do it. That's the thing when you do martial arts too, is like you, you relinquish control. You give this person the authority to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Like they can't actually make you do anything, right? They're not your parent or something, Yeah. but you, you enter into this sort of contract of, the person at the front of the room is in charge and you have to do what they say, mm -hmm. um, which I found very motivational, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It really helps. It's not the same at all. And you can really push yourself some more. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. it was a, it was a cool learn. It's good to know that you can do it without an extra person. Right. Actually. That you can just put this thing on and yeah, just put Yeah, exactly. Just create like a playlist. You find some more like high energy music yeah. and you just, yeah. you'll go. It's cool. Mm -hmm. yeah okay. so that's it so where can where can the listeners uh find out more about you or contact you on the internet um i if you can spell it um i'm theophany pretty much everywhere which is t-h-e-o-p-h-a-n-i mm -hmm. um and i have twitter account and stuff you can follow me there um I don't really have too many other outlets. I think like if you're in Berlin, I'm totally happy to meet up with people. Um, cool. And yeah. So I've had quite a few people who are like, oh, hey, like I don't really know you, but like maybe we could have coffee and stuff. So that's probably the best way to actually get together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And sometimes I speak at conferences. So look for me there. Anything coming up this I year? Think, I think I don't think i have anything planned i try and do not i'm not really big on the talk circuit because i just find it really draining um so i only do a couple things a year but um i, I recently declined something um just mm -hmm. just because i was like i i i don't really want to it takes a lot of time that. right yeah i mean i would be giving the same talk again so mm -hmm. that part is easier but okay. um I still get nervous. I still get, um, you know, you have to travel there. And so, hmm. yeah, I just, just, yeah. And I'm planning on doing some traveling, personal traveling to visit friends. So I was like, eh, I don't really want to be gone so much. I really like Berlin. Why would I leave all the time? <laughs> you know? Berlin is cool. It's a good city. It's, yeah. it's nice to be here on the weekends. Oh, so, yeah. and we didn't spend the holidays here. So, um, And I really like Berlin and, and the holidays, so I feel like I, Berlin and I have to have some quality time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. 
Okay, so I want to I want to thank everybody for listening. You can find all the show notes uh, for this episode on descriptive.audio/episodes/slash/10. If you have any feedback or guest requests, hit me up on Twitter this, um, at descriptivepod or use the feedback form on the website. Uh, Tiffany, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was fun.